this check in some work, but I finally have them. There's rumors, Amanda, that some of them have abilities. Oh, yeah. I have seen things. Maybe Superman was some kind of beacon for them to creep back from the shadows. This is now playing's DC Movie Universe Retrospective Series. The greatest gladiator match in the history of the world. Part of the now playing DC Comic Movie Series. I'm putting together a team. Can't save the world alone. Hosted by Arnie. This world is not yet ready for all that you will do. Stuart. He's got it. <laughs> no, I like him. And Jacob. You just seem like you'd be really popular. And I would know because I've never been popular. At NowPlayingPodcast.com, we will be reviewing all the DC Universe movies featuring Superman. I grew up in Kansas, General. About as American as it gets. Batman. We just have a bad history with freaks dressed like clowns. Wonder Woman. Oh, I don't think you've ever known a woman like me. Aquaman. I am the protector of the deep. Shazam. Oh, you did not see that one coming, did you, Grandpa? Suicide Squad. We're bad guys. It's what we do. Birds of Prey. That wasn't the only Damon Gotham looking for emancipation. And Justice League. They said the age of heroes would never come again. Past two. This podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Are you effing stupid? Listener discretion is advised. Okay, let's do this. How do we do this? Today, we're discussing Wishmaster. Wait, no, no. Today, we're discussing Iron Man 3. No, that's not quite it either. Today, we're discussing Catwoman? No, no, no. We're doing the adaptation of George Orwell's 1984. Oh, no. All right, all right. I got it. I got it. Today, we're discussing Wonder Woman 1984. Uh Uh-oh. I haven't watched the 1,982 sequels to the first one. Starring Gal Gadot, Chris Pine, Kristen Wiig, Pedro Pascal, Robin Wright, and Connie Nielsen, directed by Patty Jenkins. Citizens of the world, allow me to introduce myself. I'm Arnie, and I'm here to change your life. And this is Stuart. And this is the host who's into geology, gemology, podcasting, and part-time cryptozoology, Jacob. Who thought we'd really get this movie this year? It had more release dates. Look, we got new mutants this year. What aren't we going to get now that that's happened? (laughs) Only 40% of American theaters were open for this. But they have HBO Max. And judging by my feed from Facebook, everybody has HBO Max. Because everybody was talking about this movie. Can this be a hit? My question is, I mean, I think we all feel like this was the year where movies died, at least the big screen cinema. And this thing cost, what, $200 million? Yeah, I already had HBO Max. Sure, some people are going to subscribe. Sure, maybe even some people are going to put on a mask and go out there and find an IMAX somewhere out there in this cold, cruel, COVID-covered world and watch it, you know, as it was intended. But can this film hope to get a profit? They've said they fast-tracked part three, so I guess whatever weird accounting they do now for streaming, they figured this was a success financially. I mean, why would they do it if it wasn't? I did the math on this because I was very curious how this would all shake out for Wonder Woman. 
in the U.S., this movie opened opening weekend, Christmas weekend, with almost 17 million. As big as Tenet. And that's only on 2151 screens. Now, Tenet did 20.2 million. That was over more than a weekend, though. That's true. That's true. It is higher than Tenet on a three-day weekend and a much higher per-screen average than Tenet. But, yeah, you sound like they're fighting over scraps here. No, I made 20 million. I made 17. Yeah, 20 million for a superhero movie. If they had made 50, (laughs) this would have been a disappointment. I mean, like, this is a $200 million movie and it's got to, I assume, launch toys and tie in. I don't know. Was there like a tiara-shaped pizza from Papa John's or a Wish Burger or something? <laughs> I I didn't see anything about this movie because of what's happened to movies. I just knew that I just clicked play on Christmas Day and there it was. But there, there this almost seemed to appear like magic without any of the things that signify big event movie. The hype. People aren't going to stores all that much either, but something very interesting happened with movie tie-in toys this year. You can't stop the toys as quickly as you could change a release date. So when Wonder Woman was supposed to come out, you could go into Walmart and find your Cheetah Barbie doll and your Funko Pops. So June was the time to get your toys for this. The Black Widow toys came out back in January. (laughs) And I know I watched this at home on my television. Did Was there an IMAX play in this? Did either one of you go see it in theaters? I didn't even look to see if it was there. I looked, and I live in Illinois. Illinois is completely closed down. Like I said, 40% of screens are open. I could have driven to St. Louis to see this on the big screen and gotten one of AMC's collectible Wonder Woman 1984 popcorn tins, but... Christmas weekend, driving four hours round trip, I decided, no, there's a home theater, there's a reason I have it, and Wonder Woman 84 is one of them. So this is being launched like it was going to be a big event, and then, yeah, I mean, this was one of the last movies to move from the summer. It really did stay on our calendar all the way up until a few weeks. I'm like, are they going to really have a movie in June? And then it was going to be August... And then, yeah, Christmas. They they decided Christmas. I didn't believe them by this point. You know, the boy who cried wolf. But sure enough, they found this interesting hybrid model release that is going to foretell how Warner Brothers is releasing all their event films next year. It's kind of exciting for me because I just don't have to go to a theater. Well, unless they're involved with legendary pictures, they're suing to get Dune out on big screens. I guess they want Dune to fail in theaters instead of on HBO Max. This is one thing that I read that came out maybe a week after the announcement that all the movies were going to streaming, is that their head of programming went and said, listen, if we're being honest with ourselves, other than Wonder Woman, our slate of movies is kind of weak. So why not try to funnel money into our streaming service, which is a constant stream of revenue, instead of going out there and being dependent on critics' reviews and word of mouth and competing with all these other films and theaters? So they don't have a lot of faith in themselves for Godzilla vs. Kong or Dune. (laughs) Wow. Conjuring 3? Or even The Matrix 4. Well, that one's still shooting, at least. Yeah, but after Jupiter Ascending, would you have hopes for Matrix 4? I don't. <laughs> I would be very worried. I would be watching every day the dailies coming in. <laughs> I would be very concerned about all of that. 
But are other studios tempted? I mean, given the fact that Warner Brothers is going to get some money while they're sitting there waiting for the magic day that they can release Bond, you got to think that everyone is looking at Wonder Woman to see if she's leading the charge into no man's land and going to basically effectively both terminate theaters and create the new experience at home that I think lots of viewers have been asking for. Well, it didn't make Gal Gadot or Patty Jenkins too pleased. They were involved in discussions over this. I mean, you have to assume this movie almost didn't happen the way it did because Patty Jenkins was not going to come back except for a big salary dispute. She got paid a million dollars for the first film, her second movie ever, million dollars now that she's moving on to her third film, nowhere near enough. She held out and quit, basically, until they offered her either eight or nine million dollars to come back. But you've got to figure she and Godot both also have money coming in on the back end of this. And so losing theaters means losing some of that. And Patty Jenkins said, well, I'm not going to be back for part three unless it's theatrical. Well, yeah, presumably theaters could resume their business by this time next year, we should be back to some kind of normal movie going. But I guess all I'm saying is, is the genie out of the bottle? Are we now conditioned to expect big tier event summer movies to just pop up on our TV the day they come out? I I don't know. Whatever happens to movie theaters, I'm not going to put it on Wonder Woman to either kill or, or save them. I will just say that I was excited she was back. Out of all of the DC universe, I feel like by, you know, heads and tails, the far most successful movie, and that includes Joker. I, I think the, the DC has attempted has been that 2017 origin film for her. Oh, wow. No, Joker, so much better. Wow. But I was, I think, the coolest of the three of us on Wonder Woman, you know? And none of us had felt like we were burning up with it. I mean, Stuart, you... No, I was. I thought it was great. You called out Godot's weakness repeatedly in that podcast. I believe I said it was a Madonna album. It's a very marginal singer supported by great technicians who prop and lift her up and produce big hits. I went back and rewatched that first one just to refresh myself with it before I watched the sequel. And man, Chris Pine really does stand out in that one. He saves that film. Like there was times where I could barely understand Godot as I was rewatching it with her accent. Like not saying anything about her nation of origin or anything. Just I, I, I'm used to a certain accent and it's not hers. So Chris Pine, he was great in that film. That first one. Yeah. Still really works for me. It's in the top 10 best comic book movies of all time. Oh, I so strongly disagree with that. But I did go back. I watched the whole Godot saga. I went back to Batman v Superman. Oh, you don't need to do that. Wonder Woman, <laughs> Justice, Justice League. League. Ooh. <laughs> and Wonder Woman 1984. I did all four films. You did a lot of uh, extra credit that you didn't need to do. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to see how her performance and her storyline carried through, especially when I heard Patty Jenkins say what was done with Wonder Woman in Justice League was not the Wonder Woman she created, and she really doesn't care about that Wonder Woman. She's going to make her own Wonder Woman and not try to hew to what was done in Justice League. 
What was so different? I don't remember. Did she do something real egregious in Justice League? Well, she lost a lot of agency in Justice League and lost a lot of confidence, was still pining over Steve Trevor, I might add. She needs to learn how to get over uh, uh, an ex, is what I gotta say. (laughs) Yeah, we're supposed to now think, I think, that she got over him somewhat in 84, or at least learned to move on. It only took her six decades. But no, uh, by the time we get around to Justice League, Bruce says Steve Trevor to her and she runs away. And yeah, Patty Jenkins apparently was not a fan of Justice League. (laughs) Was anyone? I gave it a pass, but it wasn't great. None of them have been great. I just want to reiterate, DC has struggled. Has always struggled. I liked Man of Steel. I liked Joker. Shazam had a modest charm. But by and large, all of them have been underwhelming. Again, Wonder Woman is clearly the standout. And after Birds of Prey, they're starting to slip. I feel like Shazam is the best of the DC extended universe, not counting all DC films, but just this Wonder Woman is the ninth film in the series of Shazam is tops for me. And then probably Wonder Woman and then down from there. Right. So you're not far from me. It is among the very best. That's like saying I'm teaching in Welcome Back Cotter and I'm picking the best of the sweat hogs, Stuart. All right. Well, then help me out. What do you feel about Wonder Woman? Because I thought you liked the film. I thought it was okay. I didn't love it. I thought it had a really messy ending. And Patty Jenkins finally came out and said what I suspected. She didn't want that ending. That ending was forced upon her by Warner Brothers. Based on 1984, did she want... Aries and Wonder Woman to sit down and have a cup of tea and talk it out? She had a much more quote-unquote personal ending, did not go into details. I'm betting Aries was going to be revealed as her father, which was in some of the comics canonical, not just the sculpted of clay. But Warner Brothers wanted a huge CGI battle. Jenkins said, we don't have time to do it right. And so you get the utter crap that that ending is. And that sticks with me. That ending does stick with me as an aftertaste of the film. I don't know how you separate that ending from any other superhero ending where it's against a big CGI monster. Endings in superhero films, they still need to learn how to nail that. Yeah, it's not that bad. It's rote. Yeah, it's right right there with Suicide Squad. And I'm not being sarcastic. And every DC and every Marvel film where they just fight a dude at the end, Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, like a big battle is true to form. That is following formula. And again, there are moments in that movie that aren't great. But overall, I think that what came through on that film was that, yeah, it was really amazing sometimes just to see a woman in that role. Like when we went and saw that island of... Amazonians. That felt revelatory to me. And Chris Pine. You make a joke about Wonder Woman needs to get over him, but I ain't over him. I mean, I would have really missed him if they didn't find a way to work him back. That was one thing that made me happy about this sequel was I felt like, oh, good. They found some way that he hasn't aged in 1984. I did not know what machinations uh, they would use to get him back. But I realized, and I think they realized, that they would be on very weak footing if they didn't have him again. I felt like I knew the plot of this movie going in based on the trailer. The couple of trailers. The last one teased Kristen Wiig as Cheetah. I saw Steve Trevor back. I saw Pedro Pascal on TV saying, everything you dream can be yours. All you have to do is wish it. I'm like, okay. This guy's some wishmaster genie, and he's going to make wishes that are going to have dire consequences. She's going to wish 
for Steve Trevor back, and that's going to be how he comes back. And apparently Kristen Wiig's going to wish to be a cat. And that was what I knew going in. Yeah, I kind of came up with those same assumptions. You know, I with Maxwell Lord, I thought he was going to be more technology-based and not just a magic wishing rock, but we'll discuss it. Yeah, I know that if they were granting wishes, no one was listening to Arnie. That was the other thing I knew about <laughs> going into this movie. Kristen Wiig as Cheetah. Now, Cheetah, to me... I only have one reference, and that's Super Friends, which was a woman in a Josie's in the Pussycat (laughs) bodysuit, like with ears and everything. That is how Cheetah... There's been like four different Cheetahs in DC continuity in the comics, and like the first three, yeah, they were all just chicks dressed up as Cheetahs. It wasn't until they came up with this Barbara character in the comics where it was a physical transformation. I didn't think any actress, Kristen Wiig included, would look good in that outfit, (laughs) so I was curious to see how they were going to pull it off, but I, I went into this feeling pretty optimistic and feeling like they probably won't let her do that. I was really worried about Wig. I mean, I'm not a huge fan. You know, since we discussed her last in Ghostbusters 2016, I've come to a realization. Whoever is considered the biggest quote-unquote star on SNL overstays their welcome and is deferred to so much that they take over the show and I hate them. And it has happened to so many people recently. She was one of them that just, she was such a star because of Bridesmaids and things. They let her have every sketch to be one of her gilly or whatever. She came back and hosted SNL for the last episode of 2020, and she just pulled all those old sketches out, and I'm just like, oh, shit, again? And no, I'm just, I'm not a fan of her comedy. I'm not a fan of her roster of characters, but I did like her in Ghostbusters 2016, so maybe I can go with her going, I'm a cheetah. I don't remember it that way. You liked her and you liked anything about Ghostbusters 2016? I thought she was better than I expected. And my favorite is somebody I currently hate on SNL, Kate McKinnon. (laughs) I really enjoyed what she did in Ghostbusters 2016. She's taken over the show now, though. She has completely taken over the show. I hear it's her last season and I pray that's true. You have to realize I've never seen a Kristen Wiig comedy sketch. I don't watch SNL. I know her from little indies like Skeleton Twins and Nasty Baby. Like, And she does good work in that. So I, I don't even know her as a comedian. So to me, I di- again, I couldn't see her or anyone as a cheetah, but I didn't have any apprehension. I just didn't know how this was going to play. But wishes are granted and maybe rescinded. Why don't we get into it? Arnie, give him the plot. It's 1984, and we see Wonder Woman, played by Gal Gadot, is using her superpowers to protect the citizens of Washington, D.C. By day, Wonder Woman works at the Smithsonian Museum as a researcher under the name Diana Prince. But outside of superhero work and museum work, Diana lives a lonely life, pining for her love, Steve Trevor, who died 70 years ago in the first movie. But when a strange ancient gemstone is brought into the museum, Diana befriends the chief gemologist researching the enigma... Barbara Minerva, played by Kristen Wiig. Barbara is nerdy and awkward and seems flattered by Diana's attentions. Diana translates some text that says the stone can grant wishes. She silently wishes for Steve to come back to life, which happens. A rando shows up, and it turns out it's Steve Trevor's ghost has taken over this guy's body. It was a real quantum leap. <laughs> yeah, it is. And Diana very much enjoys her time with Steve. But we don't get to see this new guy. Apparently, Diana and we see only Chris Pine as Steve. 
Barbara, meanwhile, wishes to be more like Diana, not realizing that Diana is Wonder Woman. Barbara finds herself no longer needing glasses, she has the attention of men at the office, and she has superpowers. But another is seeking out the stone, Max Lord, played by Pedro Pascal. Max had an oil investment that turned into a Ponzi scheme, and all he wants is for his business to succeed. And he's the one who sought out the Wish Stone. He pretends to romance Barbara, but is just using her so he can steal the stone. And when he has it, rather than make a single wish, Max wishes to become the stone itself. He then goes and touches people, and when they make a wish, he grants it. But the Wish Stone has a cost. You lose as much as you gain. So Max takes from the Wisher whatever Max feels would serve him best. He ends up taking the power of office from the President of the United States. Meanwhile, we see Diana is losing her superpowers due to her wish to have Steve back, and they say Barbara's losing her humanity, and she really enjoys beating up on would-be rapists with her new super strength. But Barbara and Diana teamed up along with Steve to find the stone. They discover from a strange dime store Mayan that the only way to stop the bad things is to relinquish your wish or destroy the stone, and destroying the stone will undo all the wishes, and neither Diana nor Barbara are prepared to give up their wish. But Diana and Steve still try to capture Max. Barbara teams up with Max as his bodyguard so she can keep her superpowers, and for that, Max decides to grant her a second wish, and now she wishes to be an apex predator like has never been seen before, so she turns into a cheetah woman. Steve realizes the only way for Diana to save the world is to let him go, so he convinces her to relinquish her wish. Then, she learns she can fly, puts on some blingy armor, and goes to fight Max. She easily dispenses with Cheetah, and discovers Max doing a worldwide broadcast that has particles that can touch everyone so he can grant all their wishes virtually and steal their life essence to fix his own failing health. But Diana uses the beam and her lasso to convince people truth is more important, and so worldwide they relinquish their wishes. And even Max relinquishes his wish when he realizes he's been a real shitty dad to his son that's popped in and out of the movie. And apparently, by Christmas time, the world has returned to normal as credits roll. And as they start, I'm just curious, was part of the merchandising Gal Gadot reads fortune cookies? This voiceover stuff is just <laughs> so awful. Like, what? she keeps going on and on about, sometimes I just don't know what I'm saying, but I'll just keep going on and on until I learn how to wish. What are you, huh? <laughs> this whole opening, and this is a very long movie, two and a half hours. We get this whole opening scene of Wonder Woman as a kid again to go, this is what the moral of the lesson's going to be. This is what you need to learn is not take shortcuts and don't cheat. But then we're going to watch another two hours of her learning that lesson again. Like, do we need this opening? You know what this needed to be is an extra. Even HBO Max has extras. You know how Marvel would do extra little movies that they put on the disc? This deserves to be an extra on the disc, but a cutscene from this movie, because yeah, it's hitting you over the head with the moral of the movie, and this is only here, I mean, I watched this movie twice, I once just watched it to take this in, and then I watched it again to take notes and come to this discussion, and the first time I watched it, I'm just like, why is this scene here? Why bother? Because none of it has direct influence on anything later on. Linda Carter isn't here to show up later on. No, that 
nothing here pays off. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the it's the cheaters never win. It could get more basic than that. But Wonder Woman hasn't learned that lesson yet. Like, she's got to go through another two hours and ten minutes to, to teach us that lesson. I think she learns that lesson because Robin Wright pulls her out. But does she really cheat or is she just thinking fast on her feet? She got knocked off her horse, finds a way to get back on her horse... Isn't that the kind of outside-the-box thinking we're looking for in a new superhero? (laughs) Not the linear, I must run my horses next to everyone else? Look, the moral could is bangs like a gong. Kids don't cheat. Although, to Arnie's point, I think it's a fair one. It's not like she snuck off the horse to take the shortcut. She got knocked off the horse and figured out a way to get back on. To me, that's not the same thing. Yeah, no, I totally agree. If they had shown that she had actually cheated and took a shortcut and didn't cross the path that the other ones did, it would mean something else. Yeah, this, I thought she was very inventive, but she didn't hit one of those targets. And I know from flying games and racing games, if you'd miss one of the targets, there's a severe penalty. Well, yeah, that's what I took it as her flaw. If she would have set off that smoke thing, they wouldn't have known she skipped it and cheated. (laughs) Right. And so, like, you let her finish, right? And then you say you lose. Like, the fact that Robin Wright just swoops in and grabs her before she can throw the final thing feels a little mean. No wonder she's got that pout face. Let let me ask you a question about this whole obstacle course that you're referring to. This film was finished before COVID, right? Like, they they didn't have, like, special effects guys working in separate garages to to finish this because... Oh boy, like that first Wonder Woman, like when the Germans stormed the beach on Amazon Island, like great stylized action. Here, the physics are just so bad. People seem to be floating during all these Olympics that they're doing. It just, it looks cheap. You want to laugh? I watched the quote unquote virtual red carpet. HBO has like its own little, like that's the the extra that comes along with it, which is basically Patty Jenkins and the other ones zooming in to like six fans and cheetah outfits. And like Patty Jenkins says with the straight face, we really tried not to use computers and do it all practical. Oh, bullshit. It's all computers. (laughs) All of it. Right. What I read was this little girl did all the stunt work herself. She's 12 years old. They decided she was actually better at doing the stunts than her own stunt doubles. So we have a 12-year-old here doing a hell of a lot. Okay, she rode a horse, but when they're jumping off of cliffs and through hoops, none of the physics feel right to me. Amazonian's Ninja Warrior. Yeah, they had an obstacle course that she ran around on. But all of this is is CGI kind of hokery. I mean, yeah, I don't know whether it's I'm watching it at home and it renders that way. I've noticed that with really digital productions sometimes when you pop in the disc it doesn't look like it does on IMAX this may be a casualty of streaming it at home but yeah I don't I don't feel like the Amazon world looks as impressive I have the luxury of having watched this you know projected not on an LCD and so I can say I didn't have the problems you guys are saying but not from film. It's still a digital file you're watching. No, it came from a digital source, but it wasn't an LCD output, which has, a you know, lag and things like that and the weird true motion things that people hate. But I didn't notice the problems. Yes. Are Amazonians playing most extreme elimination challenge? Yes. <laughs> but I didn't feel like they were floating. I didn't feel like the effects looked terrible. I'm 
having just watched Wonder Woman 1 before my second viewing of Wonder Woman 2, on par. No, see, that one felt more stylized. They did the slow motion that Snyder came up with in his previous film. So, again, I'm willing to give that a bit more because I know that's CG, but because you're doing this stylized thing, I'm getting more into what they're doing with the style here. I didn't feel like there was a whole lot of that style returning. I, I, it probably is on par, but I feel like this is a bigger action set piece. And to your question about why do we have this opening, it's because this movie is going to take a long time to get to anything that's really action-packed. So little action in this movie. There's very little in it, so they're going to have... The idea is we're going to really blow you away with this opening, and I don't feel like that totally happened. Well, part of this is Patty Jenkins said, and I'm looking to you, Jacob... She said that these Olympic Games are a huge part of Wonder Woman's origin. And now that I think about it, I guess that was how Linda Carter got off the island. Yeah, that was Wonder Woman's origin story is that she disguised herself to play in these games to be selected as the one to go to man's world when they find Steve Trevor. They totally changed that. Like, she just kind of leaves in Patty Jenkins' Wonder Woman film. But yeah, these games are a big deal, but... Sure. She said she really wanted to put these games in. She knew that was something she wanted to put in part two when she came back. I feel like this is, hey, we liked these actresses in the last movie. We liked this land in the last movie. We're going to find a way to shoehorn it into this movie and try to make it relevant. Then make it a flashback towards the end when Wonder Woman realizes, oh, I shouldn't be taking shortcuts to have Steve back. That's bad because now I remember this time from when I was a kid. If she, if Jenkins insists that this scene has to be in this film, you got to somehow tie it into Wonder Woman realizing she screwed up by making a wish. Meanwhile, we're hearing the score. Hans Zimmer is back. I'm glad this movie ends at Christmas. They should have brought the score back because I thought this was Mannheim Steamroll. His stuff can kind of go that route here, but I mean, it's satisfyingly Olympian. I mean, keep in mind, the Olympics were supposed to happen this summer. This movie was supposed to come out in summer. I think they were trying to tie into the spirit of the moment. I think that they were trying to do uh, what every person on the planet would have been focused on in June 2020 had COVID not happened. That does seem very far away. And so the score, all of it, all of it, it's not great. I mean, again, if this is the action that's going to sustain action fans until they get another one. I mean, I know there's another one coming soon. I mean, there's another one coming up and it's it's worse. But you know what I'm saying here. Like this is, they're trying to front load something so that they can do the more dramatic, romantic Wonder Woman movie that they've designed. It's okay. I, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I'm not blown away. In the way that I remember having my breath taken away watching this island before and thinking, wow, I've never seen women fight each other in that way. This just kind of feels like, yeah, American Ninja Warrior. In the first movie, being on this island served a real narrative purpose. Here, it feels like an extension, as does our first scene in 1984. Like, can we chop 20 minutes out of this movie right up the top? Yes. Here's the thing with this opening scene in 1984. It feels like the saturation's really turned up. Like, the the colors, I I don't know, 80s with all its neon, maybe it's unappealing anyway, but, like, just the way it looked was unappealing. And then, like, they don't quite do the exact same thing as the movie I'm going to reference, but it sure as hell reminded me of the opening to Superman 3, which is probably not a good thing. I know I recommended it, but that opening, like, it wasn't as Rube Goldbergian. No penguins on fire. Yeah, no penguins on fire, but like shoplifters knocking over a woman in her wedding dress to Wonder Woman saving it. Like just this whole thing going around DC and you never quite see her. And it's just like someone's speeding and they're almost going to hit this person. So 
And I could go with camp, but it did have a very campy vibe. So she kicks the car. We clearly see it's Wonder Woman's boot and skirt. So she's in her Wonder Woman regalia. Yet, when we get to Batman v Superman, we're told she hasn't done Jack since World War One, and Bruce has to coax her into the suit? Yeah, she hasn't been seen. Like, we'll see her when she goes over after these jewelry thieves in the mall. Like, she'll use her tiara to take out the security cameras very late. Like, that's the first thing you should have done. They've been running this whole time, Wonder Woman. I don't know if you know that. But if you're trying to be, like, secret and still, like, do good, like, why does she dress as a ninja? Like, why is she in red and blue, very, very short skirt, thigh-high boots? Like, this does not seem like a woman trying to stay a secret. I think, actually, this outfit is incognito in the 80s. Like, people wore some (laughs) bold-ass fashions back then. So, like, this is restraint. You know, when they go to the gym, I did think Wonder Woman would look at home. Yeah, right. Some of that spandexy stuff. I mean, I think they're getting back to the Linda Carter TV show. I know that's a 70s show, but it it has that kind of vibe to it. And they're also trying to characterize the decade as the 80s was full of cheaters. I mean, this is not just a Rube Goldberg. It's scene after scene, starting with our villain of the movie. We're going to see Pedro Pascal's infomercial oil salesman on a bank of TV screens in a store window. And from there, we're going to see people that are littering and stealing sunglasses and speeding. And these are people that are breaking the law. And Pedro Pascal, I loved seeing him in this movie because when we did our original Wonder Woman watch, I did watch that unaired pilot with Adrian Pilecki. He was her sidekick. (laughs) Was he in that? I don't remember that. It took me a while to realize where Pedro Pascal was. They really do a transformation on him. He was very uh, animated during that virtual red carpet, whatever it was. And he he mentioned that. I didn't know that, Arnie. But he was like, I thought that would make my career. And when it didn't happen, I thought it was all over for me. And so I think he saw this as coming full circle. Yeah. And Pedro Pascal, most people now know him for being the person under the helmet in the Mandalorian and being very laconic. Totally different performance here, but yes, we already know he's not going to be up to any good with his 800 number scheme. I actually know him more from Narcos, and he's kind of a good guy in that one. He's at least on the side of of the narcs. But yes, certainly with that blonde hair and just, I mean, that that flashy image. I mean, we all understand the 80s now was a a decade of greed and, you know, selling a lie. And so, yes, put in context of this montage, I expected him fully to be, if nothing else, the Lex Luthor that unleashes the monster of the film. That was a weird thing, knowing Maxwell Lord from the comics, like Wonder Woman had to snap his neck because he took control of Superman. And that was the only way to stop him. But like he's an industrialist, like very successful. Like they took his name and he is a Wonder Woman villain. But like they really did change him, like turning him into this con man, just yeah, running Ponzi schemes. I figured he was in the comics, but this doesn't follow continuity with comics or Batman versus Superman or anything else. It doesn't need to. In fact, I feel like the DC Universe already said maybe our future movies won't connect in that way. And okay, if this is Joker, then then that's great. It, it might have nothing to do with anything we've seen before. Just be good. But this opening, it feels like they're doing this to get all their 80s-ish out of the way. I don't understand after seeing this movie, why it's set in 1984. 
Because 1984, George Orwell, Apple, the TV commercial with the big brother. That's kind of what I assume they're doing because I'm with you, Arnie. Like, why is this 1984? I, I agree that that was my expectation. I expected a totalitarian figure and big brother is watching and thought crimes and people repressed. The fact that it's all going to be about people getting their wishes come true is the opposite of that George Orwell novel. Yes, I know. (laughs) So I really do feel like its ultimate purpose is that they weren't ready to get to the quote-unquote darkness of the Nolan Snyderverse. And they wanted to keep it light and fun. And it will provide a fish-out-of-water comedy setting for Steve once he comes back into the picture. Hey, if Steve came into 2020, there'd be some fish-out-of-water. Why is everyone wearing a mask? What's the internet? (laughs) Yeah, it wouldn't be fun, though. I mean, what's fun is, like, being back in a big shopping mall and seeing it crowded and full of, like, you know, stores that, like, how can you not smile at Chess King and B. Dalton? So, I mean, this was fun. The 80s is a great place to set a movie with it and with Stranger Things and whatnot, but you gotta have a point to it. And I don't feel like this 1984 was very 1980s at all. We get, I think, what, one Frankie Goes to Hollywood song and... That's it? We do get, because this is set in D.C., we do get a minor threat poster, which I, that would, made me happy. Like I'm like, oh, okay, someone, maybe it was Patty Jenkins was into D.C. hardcore in 1984. They got some of those flyers up on the wall, but that's about it. Yeah, I think it signifies a plastic sheen good time, and it will justify a Chris Pine fashion montage later. I think, yeah, these things, why it's 1984, I agree with you. By the end of this film, I'm left questioning At the start of this film, I'm feeling like they're setting the tone for camp. This will be nothing like Nolan or Snyder or even really the last movie, which, you know, wasn't totally playing it straight, but did have the grimness of war. To be in a shopping mall and seeing burglars rob a jewelry store that actually deals in black market antiques just signals to me the stakes are lighter. It did feel very comic book, and I mean that as in, like, you know, I'd just pick up a comic book and that would be the opening is you know, some superhero stopping some really surreal robbery like this. Normally it didn't play into the larger plot even. But again, we get a big action scene here with Godot showing what she can do, winking at little girls in the mall. As she kicks them across the floor of the mall <laughs> like into teddy bears. You know, kids cry when they see Santa. I really don't think they're going to be happy when they see this woman slinging people around. Like, I don't think it would be this joyous figure for little girls to identify with. She also drops the four crooks out of, like, a third-story window onto the roof of a cop car. Yeah, the- she kills them, yes. right? <laughs> they're moving, but that is the exact way Lethal Weapon 1 opened with that kind of impact on a car and they'd be dead yeah i'm like you're destroying police property yeah probably a lot of injuries broken ribs at least what becomes clear she doesn't like guns in this fight she uses a lasso and not to make them tell the truth she can like use it almost to fly around she's spider-man she like swings yeah it does (laughs) feel like spider-man and web slinging i had to go back to the first movie though because i'm watching wonder woman 2 and i'm like 
This lasso looks awful. It's awful, right? But then I went back to Wonder Woman 1. It's the exact same effect. So I guess it looked awful in part one, too. Yeah, it it feels like there's a whole lot more of it. That's what it is. The fact that she's going to swing around like Spider-Man. And I've seen Spider-Man look good swinging around. This does not look good. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Is like it, It looked like it looked last time, but they're asking it to, they're pushing it this time. They're trying to do more with it. And I do think that the seams are showing. Right here at the beginning, I'm like, did COVID impact the special effects ability to do their job? Was something <laughs> not right? That's what I'm wondering. Was this not done and they had to just have one person in the garage work on it because that's as close as they could get? Because when she's like spinning it like a propeller to block bullet, like, again, it, there's no practical lasso that they're rotoscoping or whatever you do now with computers. It's just fake and it, and it feels very fake. Okay, they've sort of set the tone for what they want to do. They've had that nostalgic trip back to the Amazonian island. All of that, I'm rolling with it. I feel like it's it's setting a gentle mood. I feel like this one, it's not adrenaline that I'm feeling. It's more camp, more nostalgia, more bright pastel kind of colors. But here's something that really doesn't make any sense to me. All of this is a pretext to say we have a bunch of artifacts that the FBI needs sorting out. But in the crates are like like notes about who bought them. They have like, receipts, right? Receipts. <laughs> who needs to get the Smithsonian involved when you can actually tie the paperwork, follow the money, and just bust Pedro Pascal right now? Yeah, I don't think the FBI really cares about the etymology of the stolen artifacts. Just who were they stolen from? <laughs> right, yes. Yeah, did Maxwell Lord know it was a stolen antiquity? I mean, I'm even going to suggest that maybe this is a, a rewrite. Because it would make more sense that if he's an oil digger, that, you know, he's been digging up things and not finding oil, wouldn't it just be making more sense to say he dug this up by accident and then found out what it did? Like, all of this setup is just to very messily involve two museum people and get the story going to include Wonder Woman and Barbara. I get why you want to have them in here, but it's a real long lap to bring them into this story. And Stuart, I, I could go with you with the camp vibe because I'm not hating this film. I'm like, okay, we're, we're going with a different tone. It looks a little bit different, but if you could lean into that campiness, I'm all there to go with it. Like Superman 3, I recommended that, and I know that film is campy as hell, Like, uh, but I enjoy that. So I could go with that. But then when you have Barbara enter Kristen Wiig, and here's my next movie reference, I'm like, oh, oh, we're doing Batman Forever? This is Jim Carrey's Riddler? Like, that's not good camp. I don't want that. And she's playing it very similar to Carrie. Jim Carrey's Riddler, no, this is Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman, right? Or Bradley Berry's Catwoman. Take your pick. <laughs> Maybe a combination of both, yeah. <laughs> no, it's not Michelle's because Michelle's was filled with like self-loathing and sexual tension with somebody else. This definitely feels like an old school superhero movie, the kind that I used to always read Arrow. Like Used to? <laughs> yeah, I mean, when we started Marvel, it was nothing but a series of red arrows. And now, by and large, I recommend them. I do feel like the Marvel Universe has found its groove. But back in the 90s, when they were trying to figure out the formula, it seemed to me that they just took the biggest actors they could and say, camp it up, you know, overact. The bigger you can go, the more fun it is. Yeah. 
Tommy Lee Jones and Jim Carrey in that film. Oh, boy. I mean, even starting with Jack Nicholson, I mean, I think he ended up creating a memorable Joker, but he set that pace for what people should do in those movies. And so, yeah, you wind up with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Uma Thurman. It's just, I don't think that Kristen Wiig is terrible in this, but I do think she's terribly misserved to play a character with no shading. Like, the the fact that she's got to go this big as the, the bullied little girl that nobody will speak to is... Well, it's very retro. Well, she doesn't have to. She's relying on her crutch because I saw two to three different SNL regulars in here. She is pulling on three different sketches she does, including Mumbly Girl and Overexcited Girl and kind of Quiet Nerd Girl and pulling them all here. And I'm like, this is my nightmare. Kristen Wiig doing her SNL characters in a superhero movie is my greatest fear. Fear. Now, I'm really glad to say she gets over it eventually, but these opening scenes in the museum is my nightmare. Yeah, I don't have those reference points like you do, Arnie, with SNL, but I do feel like Kristen Wiig, like, I'm going to do my awkward performance, and I can imagine that. You say Kristen Wiig, awkward performance, like, I know how she's doing that, and and it does feel like a performance I've seen her give in other films. Yeah, I I assume that that's what she represents. I assume that's why they got her, that she's the funny girl. This is about women's relationship with other women. She sees this beautiful Diana who can walk in heels, who has all the guys looking at her, and thinks... How do I get to be like that? That's her wish. Does she have a crush on her? I know that in the comics they've said Barbara's a lesbian and that Wonder Woman is pansexual. I kind of get a little flirty vibe going on here. I feel like that's your fan fiction, but... (laughs) No, that's the actual DC comics I'm telling you, though. In the broad strokes of this movie, she's clearly wanting a boy and is falling over herself to get anybody, any male in the museum to give her attention, even as like her like suitcase is busting open and like nobody will because it has the broadness of like a Nickelodeon series. Like it feels made for children almost. I feel like they were thinking about let's make it for the 12 year olds. There's nothing wrong with making a movie for kids, you know, or a family film. I mean, I feel like that's Shazam, but I enjoyed that one. Yeah, I agree. I'm, it's not criticism, but it's a surprise. The, the thing is, I feel like it's strictly Kristen Wiig going in that area, though, here. When Diana goes home, we see she's sullen and alone and focusing on Steve's watch. And apparently she went to some ranch, Trevor Ranch, at some point. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I rewatched that first one. I don't remember him mentioning a ranch. I assumed that she opened it in his honor, and that's what oh. she's been doing on all these years. Now he's got the fan fiction. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, that. what else could it be but her running? I mean, she looks like she's running the place. I don't know. He has a ranch. But she also is a, is, works at the Smithsonian? I mean, it's been 67 years. I mean, yeah, people change jobs. Yeah, no, I like that we got to... You only do it in pictures, because again, yeah, you're right. It's 70 years later, all these people would be like Peggy Carter in, you know, in the future when Steve gets defrosted. We even see that. One of her photos is the, the candy woman that was so fun. Old Etta Candy. Yeah, visiting New York together. Yeah, I, I was hoping. I'm like, oh, I liked her in that first one. I hope she shows up. But nope, we just see a photo. Would we enjoy a movie that was more closely connected to the timeline and thus could bring those characters back? I liked them, but I'm okay with leaving them behind if we can find comparables. After rewatching Wonder Woman 1, I kind of feel like I did with Captain America the First Avenger is... 
You had some nice side characters. I think Wonder Woman did a better job of fleshing out some of the side characters even that were on that team. But the point is to jump to the present. So yeah, give them a TV series on the CW or something, but I don't need them in the movie. Right. So we're going with Barbara. And Barbara is, again, just a little bit more awkward girl. And so they have this Citron stone. Like this is one of the items... One of the many, the one that actually has Max's name at the bottom of it, the crate, something they don't think has much monetary value, but in Latin, Diana can translate it, it grants wishes. And so we never hear Diana verbalize it, but we know what she's wishing because we've seen her lonely life. And when Diana's holding the stone, we get to see her hair blow in non-existent wind, so we know the wish was made, and we see... Steve Trevor's watch move? Yeah, that's true. They, yes. In lots of ways, they're trying to signal to us, in case you didn't get it, that, yes, she wants Steve back. We know. I got it. But why the why is the watch moving? And meanwhile, in some other guy's apartment, his soul is being sucked to hell as Steve Trevor takes over his body. I've got so many questions about... Diana, like, what is her morality with going along with this whole thing? <laughs> like, <laughs> it is problematic. Like, if this was uh, reverse sex, is, uh, I think people would have problems with her having sex with some random dude because he thinks he's someone else. I'm not going to get all into that where every love potion movie of all history ends up being rape, but... Why does it have to be, like you said, Quantum Leap? Or uh, I was thinking um, All of Me with Lily Tomlin and Steve Martin, where like Lily Tomlin takes over Steve Martin's body. Why'd they have to go that way? Uh, it's, it's the fact that he like looks in the mirror and we see it's the, the not the Chris Pine actor playing him. I'm like, oh, it's Quantum Leap when he's supposed to, you know, that's the like the end stinger for the next episode to let us know who he jumped into. Yeah, we, they don't have to do this. Like, it would be very easy. We would completely accept it. If he just walked in wearing his World War One clothes, we would be like, that's fine. I, 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 They put him in the body of another man, I think, because that other man is going to be important to the plot wrong. No. Uh, it's really <laughs> just so that they could do a costume montage joke, really. It's because it allows him to have an apartment where he can go back and we can have fish out of water comedy because that was a big part of Diana coming to London was that she didn't know our ways. And so to have a character do that is something you want to retain. We could do that exact same thing if he was in his World War I clothes, the same way Diana had to go to a shop in London and try on clothes. I mean, they're doing that exact same scene. Then take him to the gap, you know? <laughs> I mean, you didn't have to have a, a futon apartment that was messy and have him inhabit a body to have that humor. Did the Gap have fanny packs though? Like they really want to make some fanny pack jokes. But before Diana even knows Steve's back, Barbara's going to make her wish after what looks like some drunken Wall Street guy tries to accost her in the park. You want to throw back to 1984? There's one of our rapists out of Supergirl. I, I don't doubt that. <laughs> that movie has been erased from my mind. Like, and Diana comes to the rescue not wearing her Wonder Woman outfit this time. Barbara goes back to the office late at night and wishes to be like Diana. And we all can see what that will bring. Not cheetah fur yet, but superpowers. And the adulation and attention of everyone in the office. And now, all of a sudden, it's the old movie trope. And you want to talk about throwbacks. 
You're talking about throwbacks to old superhero movies, Stuart. I'm thinking about old 90s comedies. Oh, look, the girl took off her glasses and now she's hot. Yeah, she pulls off her skirt and just wears her shirt and it's a hot mini skirt or something now and every all the dudes are into her. She has leggings under it and that's a very 80s thing. And yeah, she's now holding court and everybody's laughing at her jokes. And, you know, I think she's just wanted any attention. She was really happy with Diana's attention. She wanted attention from that... Popped collar Asian guy in the office, just any attention. Now she's getting it, including from, I guess he's our main villain, Pedro Pascal's Max, who's going to use her so that he can steal this rock. I don't know why he knows about it, but let's just talk about, I mean, you apparently, Jacob, know him from the comic books. Tell me about him. Who is Maxwell Lord? He's actually Maxwell Lord the Fourth. And the interesting thing is his father is kind of a good industrialist. Like, he finds out that, you know, he has all these subsidiaries, this huge corporation that they made something deadly and he feels bad for it, and his dad commits suicide. And then Max, uh, not such a nice guy, that Maxwell Lord IV, like, again, he's in technology, he's in everything, and he's able to take over superheroes at one point. Like, he be- he does become a major villain, shoots Blue Beetle. A lot of stuff I didn't like in the early 2000s, what they were doing with him. A lot of murder, having his neck snap. But yeah, he was kind of like a Lex Luthor. Yeah, it does sound like Lex Luthor to me. Someone who's dangerous because he has bad ideas and a lot of money. Yeah. And so this guy, actually, the twist on it is it's all a front. We think he has a lot of money, but he doesn't. He's Donald Trump. Like he is called a con man, a TV personality, not a businessman. Like I feel like all the stuff about truth that we're going to get into, it really feels like Patty Jenkins, like she wanted to go after Trump. She is one of three credited writers. I did want to hate on the third credited writer because we have Patty Jenkins. Jeff Johns. Jeff Johns, who is writing everything DC. Yeah. Awful. But then the third writer here, Dave Callahan, who has never written something great. He's written Doom, that The Rock movie. (laughs) The video game one, okay. Then he's written The Expendables. Ooh. Yeah, I didn't care for it when I saw it. He he took part in the sequels. He did that 2014 Godzilla, which was messy AF. Yeah. And then Zombieland Double Tap, which wasn't as good as the first. I'm like, okay. This guy is also working on the new Mortal Kombat, Shang-Chi, and Spider-Verse 2. I'm like, oh boy, I I've suddenly have fear for all of those. Movies are a collaborative process. Maybe he's a brilliant novelist. He's working in collaboration with two other people. This script, there's a lot about it that is incredibly discombobulated. And it does feel not only like three different writers, it feels like three different movies fighting each other. I agree with you, Jacob. I do believe the thought was, how do we criticize our times and Donald Trump specifically but not get weighed down into red state, blue state politics. How do we make it look new? We'll we'll give it to somebody else and we'll disguise things about building walls and what have you so that it doesn't scream in our face, Donald Trump. Jenkins says she never thought Trump with this guy. She's a liar. Yeah, that's a liar. She's trying to sell tickets to a movie. She knows how controversial saying something like that would be. She says that she was looking at Gordon Gecko. Uh, Okay, who's a fictional Trumpian figure from Wall Street. She just specifically said they never tried to mimic Trump or go for Trump. 
They make Pascal look like Trump. That hair. They build a wall, okay? Yeah. No, there's a lie. That's a lie, and I can see the lie. Put the lasso of truth on her. I don't care what she says. She's lying. She said that was, they realized the coincidence and that, you know, your the times reflect on you, but that was never intentional to the building of a wall. They did a whole movie about what is truth in 2020, and they never thought of Donald Trump. Bullshit. Yeah, no, seriously. You, If you're trying to sell tickets to everybody, you don't want to piss off half your audience. So you claim ignorance, and that's what she's doing. It's very wise as a, as business strategy, but a total lie. That's all I saw in this character. I tend to agree. I thought I saw some Trump in that hairstyle and those TV ads, but I want to put it out there because half her audience, half our audience loves Trump. So maybe we're reading into it something that wasn't intentional. Uh, no, incorrect. We, yeah. If nothing <laughs> else, I'll give the movie this. Donald Trump is a part of an 80s mentality. And that is very much being criticized in this movie. So what Donald Trump represented in the 80s is what this Max guy represents as well. Getting ahead fast, cutting corners, cheating, living a flashy life, and maybe you don't have as much in your bank account as you claim. All of the stuff that was supposedly set up by that Olympian race at the beginning, that is what the 80s represents here. And this guy is supposed to be the worst version of it I mean, he's gonna take over the white house yeah it's there and he is a single dad we have this kid alistair my favorite character from you can't do that on television <laughs> max is like is it my weekend again we never get to see the woman who had married him but yeah i what is this kid this is like he like he keeps wanting to see his dad and i'm like yeah i think he's in another movie made by hallmark like this is not <laughs> He doesn't feel like he works in this movie at all. And in fact, he doesn't feel like he's ever acted before <laughs> as well. Like, I mean, there's a lot of good kid actors out these days. I don't know why they went for this. Yeah, this kid, he, he just keeps showing up in this movie. And it seems like Pedro Pascal forgets about him. I forget about him. I want to know who's chauffeuring him around and who's paying for the chauffeur. Because Lord doesn't have any money in this film. Like, did mom get it all in the divorce? We're expected to believe that everything that Max is doing, this is lines of dialogue, a swimming pool that's not built, a helicopter he's yet to acquire, all of these millions in his mind are so that he can give it to his son, which I think that you need to make the son older and I don't know, so that they can have that kind of sense of relationship. An adolescent that's starting to think about inheritance and what does daddy do? And he's having to explain himself and he's deeply ashamed because what he does is con people right now he doesn't see himself as a con man but he has a pyramid scheme going he bought a bunch of land he claims there's all this oil on it you can invest i guess buy stocks in his company and he's hiding the fact through all his glitz and tv glamour that in fact he's yet to strike a single drop of oil but this one guy knows the big investor Simon is waiting for him at his office when he gets back there and says, you have 48 hours to produce. Yeah, Simon says, and so he has to jump too. I mean, Simon is the most peripheral of characters and so not fleshed out. But he's like, if you don't do it, I'm going to drop an anonymous tip to the FTC. And so it's imperative that... Max, get that stone. He's got drawings of the stone all over his office. And so he says he's going to donate a ton of money to the Smithsonian and become a partner-level donor. 
And again, we don't really know how he knows about it. It's just something you have to to take at face value that he's heard of a stone that even Diana has never heard of. And like, she's really up on ancient shit, but he knows somehow like this one object will grant all his wishes. Maybe it's like Jack and the Beanstalk. He just has faith in a magical talisman. He must have faith because he doesn't wish that black gold is successful. He wishes to become a rock (laughs) and not the rock, but just a rock that grants wishes. Well, he wants an endless supply of wishes is the way it is, because now that he becomes the stone, he can now grab people's hands and talk them into wishes that he claims that they want, but are really his desires. And more to the point, he can target people whose stuff he can take, because confusingly, it gets explained sort of later, but in granting people's wishes, it also means that they give up stuff to the stone. That's what we're expected to believe. Yeah, and he's able to dictate what they give up because he is the stone, which was weird. It confused me because throughout the film, he's having like headaches. I'm like, is he becoming the rock? Is he going to be like a little stone at the end of this? But I'm not sure what all his health problems were from. This is very confusing because Diana gets Steve back and shows no loss. To later. Yeah. Barbara wished to be like Diana. She does not seem to be paying a price yet, but Max... He wishes to be the stone and the stone disappears. What is his, what does he want? What does Max want? He wants to be the stone, but what does he want? What is his end game in this movie? It's really easy. He wants all the power in the world. He wants everything. Yeah. What does that mean? Well, it means that, that people that are subscribed to the 80s lifestyle are never satisfied. They can't just live in a mansion and have a yacht. They have to have everyone else's. And so it looks at conspicuous consumption as an addiction and an unhealthy philosophy that was pushed that entire decade. Yeah, it just, I couldn't really put my finger on what he wanted after saving his business. I got that he wanted to save his business, strike oil. He did strike oil once. He went to see Simon, convinced Simon to say, yes, I wish we'd struck oil and then somehow the trade-off is immediate for Simon. The IRS is standing outside his business's door ready to arrest him for tax fraud. And Simon now has a successful business. I thought that's what he wanted. No, but that's the point. He, that is what he wanted. And now I want more. Yeah, by the end, he wants everyone's wish because it will make him a superhero. He won't have those health problems and he'll just be invincible. And he'll have the whole world. Does he realize the wishes, though, are destroying the world? I mean, I feel like he is the movie. I actually feel like a lot of what we're going to talk about with Wonder Woman and Barbara ends up being peripheral. Like, he has the storyline in this movie. He's the one that needs to learn the lesson. They're going to say that Diana has got to learn how to give up Steve. But again, who wants to give up Steve? Chris Pine is still great. And he is the best thing in this movie. Yeah, they're doing parachute pant jokes that I've seen a hundred times in films, but he sells it. Yeah, I like him in this movie. I I liked that we are seeing him and not another actor who's saying he's Steve, you know, which could have been a way to go. You could recast this role and add some verisimilitude, but I like the way it goes about it. And yes, he is great here. I like his fish out of water stuff. But again, this movie is long and I'm really feeling the length 
when Diana is taking him to art exhibits and down an escalator. And I did look it up. Escalators would have been around. He probably would have at least read about escalators by 1917. They were in the New York subway system in the late 1800s. I mean, maybe, maybe not. But the point is, yes, now she can teach him about the world. And so it's a Crocodile Dundee 2, right? You know, like we're we're flipping it. And out of all the things he's learning about like that, you can't ride a stationary bike somewhere and he loves Pop-Tarts. Like, I feel like they undersold the space stuff because they make such a big deal about him being a pilot for reasons we'll find out. It's going to teach Wonder Woman a new power. But, like, that does feel like that would have been a huge moment for someone that loved flying and, like, now we're going to space. I wish somehow they could have incorporated, we got to steal a space shuttle to get Maxwell Lord off the moon. Something, like, because he, like, I really did get into that moment when Steve Trevor saw those space shuttles and was just blown away by it. Yeah, because Chris Pine is that good. Again, you want to follow him. And so this movie, again, feels like three instead of one. One of them is this light 80s fish out of water comedy in which you have a really good actor trying to make it work with Gal Gadot. I mean, I said it last time and then I rethought it. You know, my prediction after Wonder Woman is just wait until Brie Larson shows you what a real actress can do in this kind of part. (laughs) Okay, I was wrong. I can, I'm big enough to say that. Sometimes you don't need the better actress. Brie Larson is clearly a better actress than Gal Gadot. But all you really need in this role is someone that's warm and likable. And Gal got through it okay. Much more than Brie. Let me just put it that way. And so I was willing to accept this Wonder Woman for what she, the powers that she could bestow. But now that it's framed this way, and we've got to see her... Superman 2 style become mortal and wounded and show angst and uh, the kind of acting range that Brie Larson shows. Uh oh, she is way out of her depth in this movie. <laughs> Just that scene where, where she sees him again, the camera has to spin around to hide her lack of inexpressiveness. Because if you actually saw how little she cared about seeing Chris Pine again, you'd be like, does she love him? <laughs> she is not equipped to do what this movie asks. I complimented her in the first film. Like you said, Stuart, her role was to sit there, look wide-eyed in wonder of man's world. And I thought she sold that. When she told the ice cream vendor, like, you should be very proud, that was such a great moment for her. That was like, wow, that you sold really well. Her looking heartbroken and pining for Steve, it's all bad. Every scene of her looking away at the cafe. Here she has to do the Steve Trevor role and take him around and introduce everything, and it's not good. I think she does okay, but I think she's asked to do a little bit less because she's no longer the fish out of water. That's all put on Chris Pine's more capable shoulders. She has to do more. Now she has to tell us that dramatically she's been torn apart for 67 years and can't let this guy go. Well, even give up her powers and everything of who she was. She has to sell that. And I couldn't believe we were doing the Superman 2 story again. I will give up my power so I can be with the one I love, and that's an okay trade. She can't do it. She can't do what Christopher Reeve did. She's not equipped for it. And it was, again, there's so many times where they cut to a reaction shot. I just, I'm like, cut away, quick, do something else. It's not here. I didn't mind her. I didn't feel she was as bad this time around, or at least she wasn't as attention-grabbingly bad, but she's also not surrounded with people who are doing as good as they were in the first film. Let me be clear. She was not bad in the first movie. She was mediocre. She was Madonna. 
She could carry the tune, but she'd never want to listen to her. It takes the production to make her sound great. And so that is what I'm putting on her. She is mediocre. And now that we're requiring an actress, check please, right? I mean, like, just have her fight, right? The fact that she's going to lose her stunt double and that we'll have long sequences now where nobody is fighting, it's harmful in this movie because we have nobody doing the heavy lifting of the drama. The reason why this movie feels slow and boring is because she's not good. Yeah, it does drag in the scenes. And it shouldn't because he's good. He like is a joy to, in every one of his scenes, Chris Pine. I agree. And the other thing is, talk about lack of action. We have to spend so much time following Maxwell Lord around, going to Egypt, like to set up the end of the world for a big climax. Like it's just taking away from Wonder Woman. This is Wonder Woman 1984, not Maxwell Lord 1984. And yet, which would you rather watch? I mean, uh, probably Maxwell Lord 1984 after watching this one. Yeah. <laughs> Well, at least in Egypt, after an over an hour since we've seen Wonder Woman do anything wonderful, we're going to get an action scene. I don't know, but there's so many leaps of logic to get there. Like, they have to fly to Cairo, but Steve doesn't have a passport of the guy Steve's in. Did they even check to see if he had a passport? <laughs> but then they're going to steal an airplane from the Smithsonian. I read that later. I thought they just went to an airfield. Does the Smithsonian keep their jets like fueled? Can I take one of those shuttles to the moon in their building? Yeah, I'm like, that does not make any sense. And they take a fighter plane. Could that even make it to Cairo? Let alone, where did they refuel? How did they get back? Not the issue. Come on, guys. Like, you would go with it if there were a magical moment. If once we got up into the air and the fireworks were lit and you actually felt swoony, you wouldn't have these kinds of technical issues. Like, the point is, we know Wonder Woman has an invisible jet. So somebody contrive a reason why she gets into a jet and makes it invisible. And we can turn it into Margot Kidder and Christopher Reeve, you know, can you read my mind romance. I was waiting for the poem to start being read seriously. Like, yes, I was there too, but it just feels weird. She took 67 years to develop this power and all of a sudden it's just going to work. I guess her love for Steve is just that strong. She's not going to lose that jet like she did that coffee mug she turned invisible. Well, she wasn't in the coffee mug, but this really pissed off Ryan, my DC friend I'd talk about. <laughs> He's like, she never had that power. That's not a Wonder Woman power. She didn't turn things invisible. He was mad about this. Look, I, I don't care about that, actually. Films are their own thing. It's not the comic books. What's weird to me, I, again, I guess this was supposed to come out in June, so we're supposed to be blown away by all these fire. So much time is spent with these fireworks. And again, maybe if this was a better actress, I could have got into this moment, but I'm like, why am I watching the 4th of July all over again? I had to look this up because my thought was that plane's going down. <laughs> They're going to fly right into some fireworks. It turns out planes can fly right through fireworks and it's pretty safe. But I was thinking something bad was going to happen there. Boy, you guys really aren't getting it. It's like Kate and Leo at the front of the Titanic. Like, we know that they're not going to wind up together, right? Steve can't stay in this because we know what happens in future DC movies. So it's tragic that they have this intense love and they're only going to be together for a little while and she's going to have to give up this wish. It's clear to the audience by this point that this is a doomed romance. So seeing them sail around to these bright colored clouds is like that moment like they're trying to do Cameron 
Oh, Stuart, you're you're acting like we got three writers who gave us a, a script worth paying attention that way, an actress that could pull off that kind of emotional drama. Yeah, that's the again, this is will be my repeated complaint. Is like I get conceptually that that's where they're at with it, but since they don't have the actress to pull that off, aren't you better cutting all of this and just getting to Egypt? Yeah, I mean, I was wondering why it was July 4th. Nobody mentioned it was July. We saw Barbara working that day with other people. Does everyone at the Smithsonian Research Department have to work the 4th? The fireworks caught me by total surprise. I didn't know when it was, but I didn't think it was July or Christmas. But but you know what? One of the unique things about Wonder Woman, that first one, is she ends up fighting for love. And there is something feminine about her. Even though she's this tough warrior, they don't want to butcher up. There is a qualities that we think of as feminine and loving that are a part of her character they don't want to lose. And so I get that you want to make this love story important. I even get that you'd want to make it the focus of this movie. Too bad it's not working. You know what's not working for me, though, when you bring that up is Wonder Woman to me has been, especially in these most recent movies, a real feminist pro-female icon. And here, I feel that the gender politics have really regressed. What is holding Diana back? I need a man. What is holding Barbara back? What is her big thing? Boys don't like me. I'm like, this is the women of the 21st century? I get the movie's 1984, but it doesn't have to have the politics of 1984. Uh, it would feel a little off. I, I still get annoyed when, like, knights are fighting for democracy in movies because they, they didn't know what that was and they didn't, they wouldn't want that. They want monarchy. But this, that's beside the point. This, I could go with Barbara. Like, that. that is such a cliche. I've seen a million movies about the, the mousy girl who becomes popular and is that what she really wants? Like, fine, whatever. But the, the fact that Wonder Woman, yeah, she, get a psychiatrist, Diana. 70 years almost, you haven't been able to get over this dude. Like, that needs to be explored. Again, I think that this is what this arc was about, was learning how to turn loss into power. I think that is ultimately, they're not saying, I at least... I'm not interpreting as she needs a man in order to learn how to fly. Oh, but she does. We cheat when we try to get more power without having the life experience. That's, I think, what they're trying to parse out here. When you try to jump ahead and get your wishes granted without going through pain, without going through loss, which is the thing that can often empower and motivate us, uh, it's sloppy. I get it. It's this script needed about four more passes in order to get there. But I do think that it's a lose-lose thing, Arnie, right? Like, if you're saying that she can't have a man, then what are you saying about a woman in power? That she has to choose career over love? I mean, there's nothing that a female feminist archetype can do in this situation. You're going to piss somebody off. All I'm asking for is if it's about love, make me love her in love. I'm just saying maybe you could have done both. I felt like the first movie did a much better job because she was out to stop Ares first and fell in love along the way. What is she trying to do here? Keep Steve. Yes, she is willing to give up her power. Well, she doesn't understand that yet. Let's get to Egypt because at this point, she's trying to have her cake and eat it too. She's still putting on the outfit. She'll still try to do this charge across no man's land that is now a charge the convoy on an Egyptian road. She thinks she can do those things, but we'll see in the battles, she can be hurt. She will bleed. She doesn't always hold on to the lasso and falls. 
I mean, Chris Pine will have to come and save her at one point. Earlier, they were breaking into Max's business, and she has trouble breaking a lock. And I'm like, does that mean she's losing her powers? But here, she is pushing a truck sideways while running at super speed. She's not losing her powers that much. I don't understand what was with the lock. It was to let the audience know. Yeah, I, again, and they turned it into a funny joke with Chris Pine saying, oh, that's a strong lock. I mean, like, that, you know, they did what they could, but they're trying to set you up with the idea that you should be paying attention to the fact that the longer this romance goes on, the less wondrous she is as a superhero. And this action scene, it felt a lot out of Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's my note, which is a good thing. That That's a great action scene. And when she's sliding around like on doors from car to car, I'm into it. But whenever she has to pull that lasso out, I'm taken right out of this film. The lasso does look bad. It's okay. But when I think about that charge across no man's land, like I felt incredibly moved watching her step out and be that vulnerable. Here, I'm not getting that vulnerability in this moment. It feels like a bunch of people on wires in a green screen room. And so I've seen this kind of stuff a lot. It didn't have an emotional charge. And why are they here? I I think this is all part of the design, Arnie. He had an oil company that's pumping, yes, half, we're told, half of the oil reserves. Now I want them all. I'm going to go to get this Amir to give me his oil. He didn't have half yet. We're told later, but the Amir doesn't have any oil to give him. He sold it all. But I definitely think the adding on of the politics of I want the people to leave my land who weren't born here. It's something they touch on and really shouldn't. This is a really deep topic when you start thinking about Israel and Palestine, which is what I think they're referencing, and they do not do it any justice. Yeah, they're not referencing that at all. Come on, Arnie. They're talking about our border and Trump. I I don't see how you get that. Um, This guy doesn't want the poor peasants that came onto his land there anymore? Right, and people are cut off for supplies and are trapped behind, essentially, uh, caged It's pretty much there without it being there. I agree with you. It's not so in your face that we're all going to go, oh, they're attacking Trump. But if you want to like peek underneath the curtain, it's pretty clearly in, in bold gold letters. It's speaking to the now. Yeah, and look, this is embarrassing, like, the how broad it feels to me. Like, it, it feels so obvious. It, it's laughable that Jenkins would deny that this was based on Trump because it's so just broad and large strokes. It's no sophistication behind it. You know, I just think that it was a needless addition in a bloated movie that I would cut were it not that we have to explain why is this good action scene going on in Egypt. And I do think it's a good action scene. The one thing I wonder is, like, Steve runs his car into a truck, and then it looks like his car just stopped and the truck just stopped, and he just gets out and walks, but then the truck is moving. I think that a couple of the scenes here, a couple of the shots, really lost momentum, and I hate how it ends. I mean, you can't catch Max at this point. I get it. This is the middle battle where the hero is usually supposed to lose, but she loses because there's stupid kids playing in the street. I mean, you could save them this time, but tomorrow they're dead. Yeah, but I think, again, that you go back to that first Wonder Woman when they gas that village and she's just so sad. The, the women, the children, they're all dead. Like, that, I think this is 
where you get into those gender politics. Oh, it's a woman, so she's got to have that maternal side, and so she's going to let the bad guy go. Look, Superman would do this, though, to save the children. I want to be clear. No children in Egypt play in a highway. Like, that's, they know that you don't do that. Yeah, this is not a street. This is like a major highway down a desert. Yeah. So if they're going to do that, there's no saving them. Like, all right, you just prolong the inevitable. But yeah, I think this is also to set up the idea that the wishing stone is going to end civilization. We're going to be told that later. But when this wall pops up and people are cut off from their water and then I guess the Russians always get involved. So like they're taking sides and it's escalating things around the world. Yeah, the Soviet Union takes the side of the emir that wanted his ancient lands back and the United States is respecting the Egyptian government. So it's just creating an intensity to the Cold War. And we'll see throughout the second half of this movie missiles and and all of that fear that we had in the 1980s about World War III coming to be because of this wall incident. I did get 1984, you can pick for the Cold War. I think if we sprung up 100 new missile silos right outside of Russia today, they would respond the same way. So... I, again, it does not justify 1984 to put Cold War references in here, but yes, this is where Max is going to go and see the president who is not Ronald Reagan. Yeah, because I think he wished for it. I mean, it took me a second, but I'm like, oh, this guy's new in the job. Like, They're not trying to do someone doing a Reagan impersonation. Somebody wished, I want to be president. Now here they are. <laughs> and so they're just going to say, okay, I'll do, I'll say whatever you want to say. And of and of course we want more weapons. I don't think that's what happened. Wait, Stuart, you really do think that's the case after seeing it? I disagree. Watch the scene in the way that he's sort of like... Look, this movie is not sophisticated enough to subtly let us know that. It would have been shown in some 10-minute long scene. It may not be subtle. It may be a cut scene. This movie's running long. They could have had it. But he's definitely had scenes in the office where people are coming in, televangelists and what have you, and he is granting wishes. This has not been... I'm hopping from the emir to the president. There have been a long stream of people, and we've seen Max be very selective. He's like, I only want to help people that can give me power. I'll make the sex tape go away for the televangelist, but all those people beating out on the door, they do, they're just common. They don't have power. So why would I want to grant them a wish when I can't take anything of value from them? And he's been working up the chain. I assume he worked this man to get to this position and now can let him give him the presidency. He couldn't get to Reagan. We'll see that he uses people to get a meeting with the president. It's not like this guy owes him a favor. He makes a wish. It doesn't matter in the end. The point is, in the end, much like Star Wars, there's a communication satellite system in place (laughs) that's going to allow Max now to broadcast on any screen in the world. And keep in mind, this is before cell phones. That also counts as physically touching people? Yeah, he doesn't need to broadcast. He's on TV already. What he needed was to touch everyone. He asked the evangelist, do you think I could get the whole congregation to hold hands? Like, hands across America is what I'm taking. And then say, I wish instead of I pray. But then somehow this beam, which the president himself says, this is metaphorical, but it's how it was explained to me. So there are particles that would touch 
all the technology, and this movie is sloppy. Yeah, the point is that every master plan villain, it's going to impact the whole world, maximum saturation. I will be able to get everyone to grant me power, so I am omnipotent. I am God. I am sorry. I I know this is a little bit different, but I'm going back to Batman Forever. This feels like that brain-reading machine that when you watch your TV, it steals your waves and sends them to the Riddler. Oh my God, it does. It totally does. I mean, this is very much a retro superhero movie. Which I could go with, like, you're calling this 1984. I guess if this was funnier and just campier and more streamlined, I I could have got into that, I I guess, Schumacher vibe, but... Really? Because I hate those films. Like, I don't want to get into that vibe. That was when they didn't know what they were doing. Remember, Jacob recommended Batman and Robin. Because it's funny bad. Yeah. I don't. In Superman 3, like, if you could get the right tone of camp, and I like that Linda Carter Wonder Woman movie you watched because it had that camp. And, like, I feel like if that's what you want to do, then you just got to go for it. And this film still wants to be a serious superhero movie because we got to compete with Marvel when I don't think it really wants to be that. It's having a tonal problem, and I do feel like Patty Jenkins is not in control in the way that she was before, and some of it is this script that is in pieces, because, I mean, they don't want to lose track of characters, even though they don't have anything for Cheetah to do for the entire movie. I kept waiting, is this the moment where she's Cheetah? Is this the moment she's Cheetah? No, it's the whole movie build-up. And every time we cut back to her beating up on the drunk from the park or whatever, I feel like, different movie. This drunk businessman is going to accost her that night, and then she's going to now get revenge by killing him, I think? Yeah, it's really dark in a movie that doesn't support dark. This whole, like, Death Wish fantasy thing feels kind of ugly and sophisticated for a movie for 12-year-olds. Meanwhile, there's a homeless guy who Barbara had been giving food to and reading Waiting for Godot because get it, like it's Gal Gadot. <laughs> like I think there's a joke in there and probably about Gal being late to the set. <laughs> but now this homeless person happens to be walking past as he sees Barbara killing a man and is like, Barbara, what are you doing? And we never see either of them again. Yeah, there are so many perfunctory character. I, I mean, the villains of this movie are just going to disappear too when we get there. I feel like that's how I judge like a good, but the difference between a good and a great superhero movie is how well do you use those peripheral characters? Are they just throwaways, nameless people, or do you actually work a little story in there for them as well? And yes, yeah, so many of these background characters will see pop up and then do one thing and Did they get cut out of the movie or did it get changed in a draft or did nobody really think to give them that? I don't know, but it feels like it's a movie about three different characters battling over who has the best wish. And another thing I thought would be a carryover, confusing, it now sounds like Patty Jenkins didn't like that element of the first movie, but I thought all of this was going to be a trickster god. They talk about that stone as being the handiwork of a of a god of deception. And so I thought that we would have Pedro Pascal actually turn into, you know, what David Thewlis did and and Dolos, the god of treachery and, and mischief. Right. I, I you know, did you not feel like like the fact that he's just kind of bleeding from his ear and nose? I was waiting for some god to be revealed. Yeah, like I feel like you want to have Wonder Woman fight a god. Like that feels like a standard thing to do. Yeah, Maxwell Lord, who's turning into a rock, have him become that god since he wished to become the wishing stone. 
And, uh, you know, you, you made me laugh in your plot summary, like the fact that they go to some back alley shaman who's <laughs> specific, like, I have a big Mayan book I've never read, but here, go. Like, this feels like a way late rewrite. Like, somebody just said, we're cutting 30 minutes out of the movie, and this is how they figure it all out. Yeah, that's this was the most convenient. I mean, Barbara and Diane have still been friends. Diana's been calling in and saying, Barbara, research this. Barbara, research that. And Barbara found this dime store Mayan shaman who teaches a course next to Galaxy Records. It's almost like he's next to Four Seasons Total Landscaping. But (laughs) yeah, I don't know if that's a joke or not, but it didn't land with me. And this whole scene, again, just really, really again i'll I'll give the writers this much they didn't write it this way this was we're cutting 30 of your pages and you now have to make this work in three minutes okay well then they just read in a big mayan book there had to be a whole other storyline and someone said bloat 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 cut it if there was somebody saying bloat 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 this movie would be a half hour shorter i don't think such a person existed yeah, no, my comparison for this film is Aquaman, but that managed to go all over the world in its almost three-hour running time. This, where is the time going? It's a lot of people standing around talking about stuff in D.C. It is mostly Washington, D.C.-based. I don't know that I want to do globetrotting here. I, I feel like I get it in news reports where to understand, you know, and we do every now and then we see people that have granted wishes. We have some terrorist somewhere saying, I want a nuclear bomb. We have some kid sitting somewhere saying, I want to be king. We get that it's a global phenomenon. I don't know if my mind could process eight or nine more locations. I Give me eight or nine more locations with action scenes in all of them. <laughs> Wouldn't you just rather have Barbara found this out through research and Barbara tells Diana? But I guess... He, it has to come from a neutral third party so that they can both have the same reaction. Yes. I'm not giving up my wish. Right. Exactly. Barbara re- runs from this scene. And from this point on, she is trying to protect Max from Wonder Woman. She will do anything to protect her new identity. And so what gets decided is civilization ends this way. And so we either have to have everyone renounce their wish. Ha 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 ha. Well, that's not happening. Or we just kill the stone. We destroy the stone. But because the stone is now a human being, that's an ethical issue. And the writers, again, I'll give them some kind of break. They can't be happy that this is how things have gotten spun into. Like this is really messy. You want to cut a lot of this. Yeah, piling onto this mess, this is, you know, we're going to get a whole lot of information about an Amazonian hero named Asteria and her gold suit. Like, why not have the opening be this? Like, if you want to show some Amazon Island stuff, like, this just seems out of nowhere. It was there at the end. The winner of that contest was standing next to a big golden statue of Asteria. So they tried to set her up as the big hero of the island. No, and we get a scene earlier, like, Asteria sacrificed herself. All the men turned on her to fight her. She fought them all off while the Amazon island was kept safe and Zeus was able to protect it. So, like, that contest at the beginning was not to establish Asteria. Like, this was a person who existed before then. Like, just start off with that. Show me that story and have that be the framing. Because they're trying to hide the face of this person. I guess you could give her a helmet or a face shield. Yeah, it would have been a younger person. I mean, you could have had someone look like Linda Carter, but not be her. I knew this was Linda Carter, or at least I strongly suspected, because Linda Carter has beautiful eyes. Very, very beautiful eyes. And when I saw those eyes that were so striking, and they didn't show the rest of the face, I'm like, I wonder... 
Yeah, it's it's really poorly inserted here. It's literally like Wonder Woman running back and saying, I have a whole bunch of CCTV in my apartment, and I can suddenly find Max going to the White House there. Yeah, she has a gold armor suit just sitting in the corner of her house. Yeah, like, like Steve is like, what is this? And they tell this, no, the lasso tells him the story while, again, who has cameras all over the place in 1984? This is not period accurate that there will be CCTV of every street corner leading to the White House. Yeah, it should just be a police scanner in an empty room. <laughs> the other thing is, when I rewatched the first movie, there's a moment where Diana is given her tiara. And it said, this belonged to the greatest warrior in Amazon history, Antiope. And I'm like, wait, is Asteria the greatest warrior? I thought it would have actually been really cool if that tiara and the gold armor all came from their greatest warrior, Linda Carter. But now we have Antiope is the greatest warrior. But Asteria fought off all of man and still lives to hang around. I mean, it's... Let me help you out here, Arnie. They got shit for not giving Linda Carter a cameo last time. So they came up with this stupid-ass thing that has nothing to do with anything. You could cut her entirely from this movie. No, it really has no purpose in this film. It has one purpose. It's here to sell new toys. We already have Wonder Woman in her outfit. We need Wonder Woman in gold armor for reasons. Now it's cool because it's cool. I'll give them that. I love this gold armor suit. Yeah. I wish it weren't sitting around in the back of her closet for Steve to go, hey, what's this? Oh, wait 25 minutes and I'll put it on. Don't worry. And she only puts it on because she's losing her powers, right? Like she needs extra strength? No, she has her powers all back by the time she puts it on. Yeah. Oh. But I agree, Stuart. It looks cool. I wish we had more of it. Yeah, it's set up in this moment, but what gets established is we need to go to the White House for a big action scene where the line is drawn between her and Barbara. Wonder Woman is no longer tough. She's really getting bruised, and I think she takes a bullet in the chest even, or it looks like it. A welt. She gets grazed with one, yeah, and has uh, some bloody arm. She is starting to look like hair and makeup didn't go to her trailer. Like, you can see (laughs) that, I mean, the actress is giving you nothing, but you can physically see that she is losing her shine and just not competent as a fighter anymore. And so, yeah, when she has to face off with Barbara, thanks to the magic of CGI, Barbara's winning. Who's still not the cheetah? Yeah, she's wearing a spiky, like it's got shoulder pads and maybe it's vaguely punk. I want to say Kristen Wiig is doing well as this person, as this, I want to keep my power. I've liked her from the moment that the stone was taken from her. Once she stopped being the flirty, oh, guys finally like me girl. During this period of coming to terms with her power and learning her Tom Cruise run, I really actually liked Kristen Wiig's performance, including here at the White House where she is able to kick Wonder Woman's ass. She is the best new performer that wasn't in the last movie. So this means she's second only to Chris Pine? I mean, I'll give it for this film, sure. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's not a whole lot from the previous movie, and you don't like Gadot. Well, yeah, and and Pedro Pascal is overdoing it. He took a Tommy Lee Jones or a Jack Nicholson or a Uma Thurman lesson. You know, he's like, oh, I'm supposed to do as big as as I can. I thought we were done with this. I didn't think superhero movies... 
got made this way anymore. I thought we we realized this wasn't good. But he started off pretty normal. I mean, I got he was under a lot of pressure, but as this keeps going, for reasons he's now bleeding when he grants wishes, and for reasons he's become really manic. And I mean, it looks like he's on coke, but and maybe that's the point, is they're trying to make a allegory to granting wishes is like being on cocaine in the 80s. Let's dig into that, because I actually find it's incredibly shocking that this movie weighs in so strongly for communism. Like, ultimately, this movie says, don't you dare dream. Don't you wish for anything. That is evil. Think about other people and the common good and put your personal ideas about what you want for your life aside. That is what Wonder Woman is going to vouch for. She's going to look at this ultra-capitalist and say, Mother Russia, this is the better motto. Well, socialism, I mean, she she definitely is preaching the Bernie. Yeah, I, I feel like the Amazons are probably socialist. <laughs> I mean, this is pretty shocking, though. I mean, in a Hollywood movie, that this is the lesson? Really? Really? That shocked you? I I would expect nothing less from Hollywood than the most left of politics. Well, that's a stereotype. It's a stereotype because it's true. No, no, no. A lot of movies are very conservative. How many movies have you seen endorse communism? Hollywood movies. I mean, that's... Yeah, again, this is like a major factor. Again, it's not just like... Don't be greedy. Think about other people and do nice things. It's literally set your own wishes and desires aside for the thoughts of other people. That is significant. I've actually never seen a Hollywood movie advocate that. This is a Christmas film. It makes sense. That's embracing the Christmas spirit. Go watch It's a Wonderful Life. That gets pretty uh, socialist at the end. I'm surprised you guys think that this is not a big deal. It didn't strike me the way it's striking you. I'll, I'll put it that way. This seems pretty par for the course. Put others before you. Again, very Christmassy. And in fact, I took from it a more individualistic statement because at the end it's saying, you know, don't wish for stuff. Everyone has the ability if you work at it. It's straight from the first opening scene about when you're ready, you will succeed, you will achieve. I took from it very much the American pull yourself up by your bootstraps, everybody has the same equal opportunity ethos. No, you're telling me that the black kid in the rocking chair is going to be king? Like, these wishes are impractical. Nobody can achieve these things. They're wrong for wanting them. Don't dream. I mean, I think it's good to have realistic expectations. That That's different than saying don't dream, but not every kid could be the president. Like, can we just admit that? I'm not trying to have a political debate. I'm pointing out that this movie's idea of a hero is to tell Americans not to dream big or think about materialism. And that is, I think, pretty significant. I've never seen it. Again, I feel that's pretty par for the course. Think about others. Don't be materialistic, especially because I'm watching this on Christmas Day. It just feels par for a Christmas film. Yeah, I agree. I'm not shocked at all by this that, you know, when our evil is capitalism, as shown here, especially in the 80s with the Wall Street maneuvering and things, which has only grown. You know, I don't know why we hate on the 80s for this period of capitalism other than in the 80s it felt like everybody could get in on it and by the time we got to the 90s and beyond yeah they were out and proud about it (laughs) now only the one percent get to screw us all over but it was always the one (laughs) percent uh you have a different perspective of the 80s everyone could get in on it and that's that's not my perspective of the 80s my perspective was i could get in on it in the 80s (laughs) i will leave that alone 
But I think that the businesses screwing over individuals has been a problem for 40 years. But this is not this is not corporate America doing that to these people. This is a guy that wasn't successful at all. This is a con man. But then he became successful through wishes and Ponzi schemes. Yeah. Again, Donald Trump. What did he actually build? What did he actually do? It's all about the TV personality. Yeah, I, I, it keeps going back to Trump. That's where it makes sense. I'm like, I can't believe they let this through. And then I think, oh, but they're trying to do this Donald Trump thing. And I go, I guess if you, if you only if you look at through that prism, uh, it makes some kind of sense. And, and Stuart, that is part of my problem. Again, this is so over the top in its reaction to him. I don't actually have a problem with it being over the top. It isn't focused. Like, I, it isn't a good critique. What are you really advocating for? What are we really trying to tell people by doing this? That Diana should let go of the person that she loved. Yeah, she should. It's been 67 years. She's got to get some therapy, get some healthy behavioral practices going on. Like you can't be stuck on someone that you knew for like three days for 70 years. (laughs) Admittedly, it's the first man she ever knew. It's her first love. I'm actually not going to hate on her for it, and wishing for him to be back is perfectly fine, but the the weird cost that comes with it, which is A, some other guy loses his existence, and B, she loses her powers. If she'd known that she had to trade her powers for Steve, I don't think she would have done it, but now Steve's back, and she has a choice to make. Right, and so... I guess after she gets her ass kicked at the White House and she's limping along, she knows that she can't fight her way to the satellite climax. She can't make it there if she doesn't regain her superpowers. And he knows it too. So he's the one who makes her do it, though. She was not going to renounce him. And I'm glad I rewatched Wonder Woman Part 1 because in Wonder Woman Part 1, he's the one like... I have to be the one to sacrifice myself. You have, you, I can save today. You can save the world. So it's just kind of a repeat there of, again, Chris Pine, who has said, you are crazy. There are so many better guys out there than me. Why are you hung up on me for 70 years? I mean, he called her out on her crazy, but he's also going to be the one to say, again, you have to be super. You have to let me go. And it's, it's replaying that beat from part one. Yeah. Except now she gets a new power because of it. Now she could fly. I mean, I do believe that, again, we're expected to think that loss teaches us how to be strong, not that women uh, have to choose between career and love. Like, I feel like you could look at this movie in a very backwards way, but I'm trying very hard to give it that she just learned through the loss that she can do new things. But she suddenly can fly and is going to just have a flying montage of learning to fly, and then she's going to fly back home to change outfits, and then she's going to fly to confront Matt. Yeah. Never mind that this one has wings, but I guess they're just decorative. They're just for the shield. They look cool. Except they (laughs) they flap. They look pretty cool in a retro way. Like, it looks like something Cher would wear to the Oscars in the 80s. Like, it has (laughs) a Bob Mackie, like, kitschy thing to it that, again, makes me go, oh, that's right, 1984. We needed some of that in here. Kind of. But, man, Cheetah is there because Barbara wished to be an apex predator- Why does she get two wishes? That goes against what they set up with the wishes. The first wish was to the stone. So ever since it's been in human form, she hasn't asked for a wish. You know what? The script's bad. I don't know what to tell you. It's a bad script. 
<laughs> okay, if that's your justification, all right, yes, it's bad. She and Max are specifically talking, and she specifically says you only get one wish, and then he goes, I'm feeling generous, make another wish. Yeah, because we see earlier he tries to get one of the interns at his business to wish that the traffic will be parted like the Red Sea, but he already wished for a Porsche. I thought that was a funny little scene. Like, So we saw that you can't wish twice. It's just weird that they're going to, again, maybe different people were working on those parts of the script, so they got different outcomes. Worse than that, it's not that he ever gave anybody their wish because he was benevolent. He gave them their wish because he wanted something that they had. What is he getting out of this arrangement? I have no idea what need he has for an extra from Cats. (laughs) (laughs) Cats wished it looked this good, and this doesn't look great. It looks bad. Yeah, it's better than Cats. There's no snot coming down her face anyway. (laughs) Her face isn't floating off the body. This does not look good, though. But uh, she's aware, Cheetah, right? Because she he starts his broadcast from this underground bunker that I don't know how Diana knows where it is. And Barbara's just watching, and she's a woman. And then Diana shows up outside, and now we got a hairy thing with Kristen Wiig's face pasted on it. And they know this is bad. Again, COVID, I read an interview with Godot where she said this movie was finished in 2018, ready to come out six, seven months ago. Couldn't they have spent that seven months fixing this? The movie suddenly becomes so dark, and I can only believe it's to hide Cheetah. I can barely see Cheetah. Yeah, it's to hide Cheetah. And again, like, look, I, I complained a lot about the special effects at the beginning. This looks par for like a, a $50 million like sci-fi action film, like not whatever hundreds of millions this one cost. I think we always complain about these kinds of creatures. Like I, even in a really expensive Marvel movie. Oh, bullshit. Marvel can give me a talking tree and a talking raccoon that look real. And DC gives me this. They're usually the extras is the thing. They usually aren't the main bad. I mean, is she the main bad? Yeah. They fight for like five minutes. That's it. Wonder Woman formula established by the last movie is you fight something supernatural that is worthy of her time that she fights a god or something. That's what this is. Now, yes, is this everything that you want to be in a fight scene? Well, let ask the eternal question, what happens when a lightning strikes a cheetah? <laughs> I, I don't know a lot about DC Comics, but I know Cheetah is the main bad guy for Wonder Woman. Yeah. So this has to be the main fight for me. And she looks as bad as Venom did in Spider-Man 3. And that was 13 years ago. Yeah, I'm not going to get hung up on the look. I would have been able to go along with it if I felt invested in this fight, if it felt like it mattered. But it, it does feel like, oh, Cheetah is the main bad guy. We got to get her in this film. And so here's three minutes of them fighting. And then I guess... Does she drown? I don't even know what happens to her. I literally do think they should have asked the people who made Cats, can we borrow a model? I think that the problem was, how does this look? That Like, you don't want it to make it seem like only Wonder Woman can be wondrous, right? Oh, this woman dared to try to have what Gal Gadot did and failed. Like, you end up sending anti-feminist messages if you show her as completely evil. So what do you do with a character like this? They end up like hedging it to the point that she's meaningless what do they do with her Stuart? i she just like i remember there's a shot of her she's not a cheetah anymore and then i never see her again what they do is i mean she's swinging from electrical cables that are sparking and she's fine so she's immune to electricity but when she won't regain her wish 
Gal Gadot drowns her and electrocutes her and says, I'm sorry. And we see her sinking to the bottom like she's dead. And then, yes, in the ending relinquish your wish montage, we see her as Kristen Wiig again. And Patty Jenkins said this is intentionally left vague. Did she relinquish her wish or not? They may come back to her. So they could bring her back. Yeah, that's exactly what it feels like. The last shot of her is human form just kind of looking up in the sky. Yeah. She has that furry coat back on, like when she's going for punk chic. How does it look to have two women beating on each other? And have you justified it? I feel like the politics of that, they just run away. They don't want to deal with it. And so it gets this to be this forgotten thing. I bet you there was other ideas and that they decided for this reason or that, that it wouldn't play well. This is as bad as Ares in the previous film, though, and... I'm glad that it's not the final fight because at least we have her going up against Max. Here's the problem with this versus the first film. The first film, that airy stuff, there's not a whole lot of it. When I watched it again, I remember your complaints, Arnie. I didn't feel like there was a whole lot of her versus Ares. Plus, you had all the Chris Pine stuff going on. You had that whole other group of soldiers trying to do their thing. It was like split up in two here. We got to watch her fight this boss battle so she could get to the final boss battle. Like, there's no other group of interesting people in this film. And the ones they're giving us aren't interesting. The problem with this ending is it's just a goddamn mess. What's weird to me is, okay, she she beats Cheetah, and I figure, go smash the satellite dish. That that solves your problem. But I guess they're going for, let's talk it through, because there is this weird gender politics. Like, at times they want to go, oh, she's a woman, and so she's going to solve problems differently. And at other times, that they it feels like they don't want to deal with that. But here, she's going to talk to us all and tell us, don't be greedy, guys, because that's what a woman would do. she talked to you, not punch you. Well, this could be very easy, and I do think that there would be a much cleaner ending. They said if you smash the stone, then all the wishes get undone. Yeah. But if she smashed the satellite dish, then all these crazy wishes are going on, and I'm, like, trying to wonder how these are working. Like, we get to see a husband and wife fight. The wife says, I wish all you Irish bastards would be sent back to where you came from. Instantly, the uh, INS shows up. Is that who that was? I I thought it was the cops because she he wished her dead. And like, we never see her. She starts dying. We never see her like that. She's okay at the end. No, we see her later on. Somebody's doing CPR. She's getting CPR. Yeah. I don't know if she's okay. <laughs> and he says, I relinquish my wish. But that, that does that bring her back to life? And could she relinquish her wish and she's dead or are all Irish people still getting deported? Yeah, no, look, I know I was very critical of Zod getting his neck snapped and Man of Steel almost ruined that movie for me. I still hate it. Like that Superman just goes around killing people. But do I want her to go snap Maxwell Lord's neck like she did in the comics? No, but this is not a satisfying ending that she's going to touch him with her lasso, which lets her talk to whoever that person's connected to. Not talk to, show, the same way she was able to tie the lasso around Steve's wrist and show him the origin of the gold armor. She's able to show all these people. Okay, so she shows billions of people, like, hey, guys, take your wish back. Like, to me, that's still not, there's got to be a different ending. I don't, I don't want it to end in death, but this is silly. Well, it just, you have to get an actress that can actually sell that. Someone that can give that monologue. Give me Meryl Streep here because, I mean, that has to come through in a way that is convincing. I mean, 
Again, how well did this message work in the 80s? It was called communism, and we beat the shit out of them. We didn't want to hear this message, so I don't think that it's going to translate that, oh, you're right, I don't want to be king. I'll just go back to whatever, like being nothing. The thing is, what she says is, you cannot have it all, you can only have the truth, and the truth is enough. The truth is beautiful. Look at this world and what look at what your wish is costing it. You must be the hero. Only you can save the day. Renounce your wish if you want to save this world. Right, yeah. That's about five different ways of saying the same damn thing. I guess that they know that the missiles are flying. That's the, really the only case that needs to be made. If you don't retract your wish, everyone is irradiated. So, all right, I guess I won't be king. But does everyone have to retract it or just enough? Like just the people who wished for the nukes? Everybody. But not everybody would. I don't think Cheetah does. Barbara didn't retract hers. Those nukes should still be flying then. And what about Max? Here we're supposed to suddenly feel bad for Max because we get flashbacks that he peed the bed and his parents were abusive? This is lazy writing, man. I mean, it gets worse because then... Alistair is running around saying, where are you, daddy? And people are chasing him? Maybe? There's like a stampede of people breaking into the office and they think he can grant their wish or something? Well, because we saw Alistair, like his dad is like, Alistair, don't you wish you were as powerful as me earlier? And he's like, he wished for his father's greatness. Yes. So Alistair should be becoming his dad. Maybe that's why people are chasing him around. But I feel like... Oh, I I took it to mean that he wished his dad achieved the greatness that he wanted so that he would knock off pursuing other things and stay home with him. That's how I took it. No, no, it's because Maxwell Lord gets mad at his son because he's like, I just want to spend time with you, daddy. He's like, well, what about all this great stuff I done? Don't you wish for that? For my kind of greatness? So I thought like this kid was going to become evil or something too. Well, he could be. It's worth pointing out in 1984, he's a small child. In present day, he probably is going to be some villain that they fight. I doubt it. I can't imagine you'd go back to Alistair unless there is a villain <laughs> named Alistair from Wonder Woman comics, but. Does he team up with Barf from Barf Burgers? But this is, I mean, this scene is horrible when we have Pedro Pascal coming back and hugging this child and like going through all of this like histrionics. I mean, this like, I love you forever and you'll never have to wish for my love. Like, ooh, 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 ooh. Does nobody care that Max now has almost caused a world war? Are there cops coming for him? (laughs) What happens to him? He just disappears like Barbara. I mean, good. Good riddance. That's my wish. (laughs) Go away. This is awful. And yeah, it's an unfulfilling ending. Where's the stone? If he relinquished his wish, the stone is somewhere. Right. Sequels. Aren't you so excited about this? (laughs) They'll never pick this up. No, they won't. But, you know, if you smash the stone, then you would know everybody's wish was undone. And we never even get that closure. Instead, it's Christmas time? Yeah, this is reshoots, right? Because they're like, we missed our release date because of COVID, and this is coming out on Christmas. Like, I know we have 4th of July and and an allusion to the Olympics in this, but let's make this feel more Christmassy. Let's reshoot this scene or add this scene. Right. And this is to let you know what? Okay, so 
Gal Gadot is staring up at some Christmas decorations, giving her incredibly deep and internalized acting performance. <laughs> we see the nameless engineer that Chris Pine had inhabited that is now back in his body. Yeah, he's wearing that one suit that... The scarf outfit. She loved the scarf outfit, and he thought he looked like a pirate. Well, this guy takes the compliment. Thank you. Is the point that he doesn't want her? That like he leaves her like she looks like she could actually is waiting to be asked out on a date and he keeps walking. Yeah, no, I thought that was going to be the resolution that she's ready to move on. Let's go out on a date with someone else. I'm confused. But then when we get into the future, she's still pining. She's Chris pining. Yes. I, I just don't know what this means. I don't know what this signifies having this moment other than yes we want to tie it into the holiday since we know we're coming out hell or high water on christmas day it feels like they took some extra footage from a hallmark movie and then put in a socially distanced green screen gal gadot and this other guy but there's one more scene the stinger yeah dc doesn't do end credit scenes but they they got a mid-credit scene here yeah come on this is awful this is just the most patronizing, oh, you're just so great, Linda Carter. Sorry we didn't work you into the last movie, but you're the original. Yeah, that it doesn't work that she's Asteria. I don't know who Asteria is. I don't care. Like, if she would have had some cameo in the first one as someone on a council of Amazonians, yes. like when they're on the island, like, that would have been fine. Sure. I would have loved it here. I don't know what any of this means. So Asteria is still walking around. They got the second unit director to, like, do one scene of a pole following falling towards a child in a crib yeah i gotta go thank that woman my daughter would have died if that pole would have like it's so awkward the whole way it shot it's terrible the only reason it would be worth even having is if some part of me thought which does not that she's gonna show up and fight alongside wonder woman yeah, in the next movie, like, she'd be a mentor figure or something. But I don't believe that. I believe this is just, hey, everyone wanted Linda Carter in the last movie. We'll put her in this movie. She could have been the judge of the Olympics, you know. There are new people on that island. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I would have I would have been fine with that. I wouldn't count it out. The third one Wonder Woman movie is probably going to take place in the present it's mentioned that Diana was looking for her all this time. It's only found the gold armor. I don't know how that works, but maybe they do team up like Sean Connery and Harrison Ford. Well, is that what you want? Jacob Stewart, do you wish to recommend Wonder Woman 1984? Jacob. Yeah, I wish I could recommend it because that means I would have spent two and a half hours watching a movie I liked. Instead, I, I look, you probably all came off as hating this film, and I'll speak for myself, though. I didn't hate everything about it. I was looking forward to coming back to 1984 and Wonder Woman and Steve Trevor, like these characters that I really enjoyed in that first one. And there are moments that I liked in here, but this film is a total mess. Like my comparison, ultimately, it's not Superman 3, Superman 2, Batman Forever, and any of those Schumacher things. It is Aquaman, which was a huge mess of a film film that at the end I'm like did I like that like I kind of felt like there's scenes that I did like like an octopus drumming like giant crabs fighting giant sharks at the end like the campy stuff that shouldn't be in a two and a half hour film like that is when you make a film that long it just it feels like it should be important and then you have a octopus playing the drums or you have a cheetah 
that's also a lady running around as in this film. And it just, the tone is never right for me. And, and that is my biggest problem. Like, I don't know if a campy version of this film would have worked, but I wish they would have just committed to that. Cause it feels like that was kind of their draw, or at least one of the writer's draws that was working on one version of the script. But ultimately this is a mess of a film that isn't, I don't think people into like superhero stuff are going to be totally satisfied with it. Cause there's not a whole lot of action. If you want drama and romance, that stuff's not great in here. So it, it's, it's hard to find something like, Hey, th- this part of this film is re- super strong and it kind of runs throughout so I could recommend it that way. No, I kind of had fun at times, but mostly I was annoyed by a lot of the inconsistencies and the shifts in tone and just this movie not knowing what it wanted to do, so it's not a recommend. Stewart, I'll give it this. It's retro, but it doesn't bring me back to 1984. As we already mentioned, George Orwell's namesake dystopian novel I was waiting to find a big brother. I was waiting for thought crimes. I was waiting to see totalitarianism. The 1980s that exist here uh, merely is the punchline for the fish-out-of-water comedy. What it takes me back to, what I think this should be called is Wonder Woman 1995, because it is very much a studied recreation of how Joel Schumacher fucked up the Batman movies. (laughs) Kitchen sink, Throw everything in there, starting with the hammy villains. Overact as bad as you can and make sure that you would never work well together. Plants and ice ruling the world is what a cat and a wishmaster would do. Like just like suits of gold because we want to sell toys and invisible planes for a second because, well, they expect it. Like just a by committee kind of plotting that just feels impersonal and bad and so frustrating because I really liked the first movie and i really really in this shit year wanted to have a good time i wanted to be transported to something fun kitschy plot holes be damned i figured it wasn't going to be as good i can overlook the weird anti-capitalistic messages i can overlook godot's lame acting and the romance the over action aesthetic all of this i'm i'm giving this movie so many mulligans here, you take one. It's Everyone's wish is that this thing worked. But somewhere, Oscar Isaac's apocalypse is laughing. He's like, if you thought my stilted <laughs> 80s camp movie set in Egypt was bad, take a look at this. In the end, once they get to Egypt, you can just feel like the movie's not going to pull out of the nosedive. And certainly when we get to that ending with the, the father hugging the child, uh, the fact is I can wish that this was a Green Arrow movie, but the truth... The only thing that's important is it's bad. It's a bad movie. I'm going to say it's a mild not recommend because I think I'm still clinging to the idea that I wanted to like it so, but it's going to grow redder as we move further and further away from 2020. (laughs) I'm going to look back at this thing as shit. I think I liked this movie the best of the three of us, (laughs) which is funny because I like the first one least of the three of us. Or maybe that makes sense. Maybe because we had expectations for something that you did not. But I will say, the first time I watched this movie was a lot better than the second. I can't imagine sitting through this twice. (laughs) In two days. I did. I wanted to like it so much. I was like, let me see if I can try again. And it worsens. (laughs) It did. The first time I watched it, I was like, okay, 
opening scene at the island. I kind of want to know why. We're never going to get there. I then fight at the mall. Okay, the lasso doesn't look so great, but I like the 80s stuff. We're not going to get it again. And then we got this emotional stuff with Steve. Hey, I'm really glad Chris Pine is back. The fish out of water stuff's working. Kristen Wiig is getting into gear and starting to do well instead of that awful beginning. And then we get Max and... I kind of see where his story's going, and then at the end, I'm losing focus as I'm like, what's happening? And I really wanted to go back the second time to answer those questions. And when I went back the second time, what I realized is the movie really does drag so badly. And a lot of the scenes that are in here to excite us are extraneous and don't move the story forward one iota. Wonder Woman fighting that entire convoy existed to tell us something we're going to hear again in the White House. Hey, she can bleed. And the action scene in the mall was there just to tell us that something was going to be dropped off at the museum by the FBI, who never looks after this thing again. I think every time you watch this to wish it's a better film, more plot holes open up. (laughs) Yeah, it takes something more out of you, like your brain or something. Yeah, the second time I watched it is why I've been so harsh on it. I plan to come in and be semi-defending because I've seen some people lambast this online and I'm like, eh, I think you're overreacting. You're being hyperbolic. It doesn't deserve that amount of hate. Some of the CGI isn't great. Some of the plot is a little loose. But the second time I watched it, I'm like, it really is a bad movie. It's it's a mild not recommend, but I'm really angry about that. So it, I sound harsh. I agree. I'm really <laughs> mad that this good property, the best thing DC had going for it, has shat the bed. Yeah, I, I, I'm of course got to give it a not recommend. You know, I think this movie has some things going for it. And I wish I could say it's worth checking out once, but unfortunately, it just so falls apart and it's poorly written. And the fact that the day after it came out, they're announced Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot are coming back for a third one. I'm like, that wasn't my wish. Yeah, they're fast tracking part three. I don't know what metrics they measured success off of anymore, so... Well, they made a good film, and then they made a bad film. So I'll give them another shot, I believe, in second chances. But fast track? Like, no, let's take some time and really plan this out. Well, somebody must have made money on this. Well, fast track has to have different words, because Patty Jenkins is making a Star Wars movie. And that Star Wars movie is coming out in, what, 2023? So we're not going to see Wonder Woman until like 2024 or so. No, maybe that's why they're fast tracking to get it out before then. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's why they're rushing it so that she can get it done before. That makes sense. Good on them that they're they're willing to, to try again, but let's hope for better. I mean, I think we can all wish that it was better than what it was, even if you like this somehow. And I guess there were scenes and moments I liked, but I can honestly say none of it cohered. It was a big mess. And I and after my first viewing, I was like, well, it was okay. I'll have to think about it. Boy, watching it a second time, it was just slapping me. It was like, it's not okay. It's not okay that they did this. It's not okay they made this movie. It's a mess. That's where I was too. I was like, the first time I was like, I felt like if I watched it a second time and could tie some stuff together, it'd be an okay film. Correct. And then the second time, it just showed me how much worse it was. Yes. But what Warner Brothers said is, Jenkins and Godot returned to conclude the long-planned theatrical trilogy. 
Mm-hmm. But yet, I also read in an interview very recently, Jenkins saying, I have ideas for a couple more films and an Amazonian spinoff, but I don't know if I'm ever going back if they're not going to put my movies in theaters. Look, I think there's a lot of question mark over all entertainment right now. I can understand you send the signal right now that we're so confident in this. We're making another one as fast as we can to please you because you're going to love it. That can go away very quickly. We've seen lots of franchises announce sequels that never came to be. Love it or hate it, I'm still wondering how they're going to make their money back on it. I just think that this model is so weird. I just don't know if Warner Brothers is going to be able to to recoup how much it cost them to produce this $200 million spectacle. If they got enough HBO Max subscribers, though... That's a renewable source of income, monthly income. As long as they don't, yeah, cancel the subscription until the next movie comes out that they want. That's what I would do. I subscribed for CBS and I took the one year plan just because it was a savings. And then later on was like, ah, I want to cancel and I'd already paid for a year. So they certainly can view this as a totally new revenue model. I look forward to their stockholder calls to find out if it really worked. I mean, they they can't pull a Ponzi scheme. They have to tell their investors how this went. Well, let's take a look at that because coming up for DC, we got two movies next year that are going to wind up on HBO Max. We got the return of Justice League in a longer... That doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, that's only coming out because of HBO Max. That was never going to come out in theaters. Actually, he's saying that he's talking about putting out an R-rated theatrical version. Anyway, the other movie is a rethink on Suicide Squad. Not a sequel, but actually just saying, ignore that last thing. Here's the real Suicide Squad. Wait, where? what about Batman? The Batman. That's moved to 2022. Oh, that's 2022 now? Damn. That's the one I'm looking forward to. Yeah, Robert Pattinson got COVID. Yeah, I I heard rumors of that, yeah. Yeah, I believe it's March or so right now. But again, (laughs) release dates, if only. My wish is that they would stay put. But, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But to be clear, Suicide Squad. The Suicide Squad. And the Snyder Cut will be released as streaming, even if they make it to theaters. Uh, You know what? Let's see what a real lady action fighter can do. Next week... Blood Rain, Uva Bowl's back. We're getting back to the video arcade. That's what you're going to for a real lady fighter? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Three films, uh, starting with the Christiana Loken Terminator 3 actress in medieval times. She winds up in the Auschwitz death camps. You're going back to medieval times? Is, was this shot at the same time as in The Name of the King? It feels like research paper. Like, we're going to try Blood Rain, and if it works, we'll do In the Name of the King. Because In the Name of the King was his next film. Right. And, you know, after the greatness of that, well, you know, we got a, a few things <laughs> in the first quarter. Stephen King will be back with The Stand, maybe a new Children of the Corn, Marvel. Are you guys excited for Marvel TV, if not their movies? WandaVision? We're going to cover that one. And Eddie Murphy. I mean, we wanted to do it this December, but they moved coming to America. So we're going to do the original and this new sequel coming to Amazon Prime in March. Plus, patrons for last Friday on Christmas Day got a Christmas thank you gift from us. A review of Trading Places. Speaking of Eddie Murphy, the Eddie Murphy Dan Aykroyd hit from 1983. 
If you haven't heard that, you can sign up at NowPlayingPatron.com and get access to almost 50 exclusive bonus reviews, including that one. And this Friday, for your New Year's resolution, we're pumping iron with Arnold and Lou. Yeah, it's it's the Arnold you know, but in a different way. I mean, we all know he has this bodybuilding career. We all know he's a movie star, but rarely has that come together. But this is the film that kind of made him. I think, at least more than Hercules in New York, this is the <laughs> film that really starts the genesis of the Arnold that becomes Conan, Terminator, Kindergarten Cop. So that is this Friday... As everybody races to the gyms that aren't opened, <laughs> maybe, or buys a home gym. Yeah, exactly. I got a set of dumbbells here. I'll just be pumping while I watch. There's apparently some Nintendo Switch Fit game. <laughs> oh, I got that. Yeah, it's fun. You, you strengthen your core. You run in place a little bit. I sweat afterwards. Oh, there you go. Well, while everyone gets ready to switch it up in the new year, we'll watch Pumping Iron. So, Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. And until next time, justice has been served. Some days my childhood feels so very far away. And others, I can almost see it. The magical land of my youth. Like a beautiful dream of when the whole world felt like a promise and the lessons that lay ahead yet unseen. Looking back, I wish I'd listened. Wish I'd watched more closely and understood. But sometimes you can't see what you're learning until you come out the other side. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing's DC Movie Universe Retrospective Series. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Stay down! I wanted it, you'd be dead already. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. Can you imagine how people on this planet would react if they knew there was someone like this out there? And while at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums, where you can discuss the DC movies with other listeners. I'm in. You are? Just like that? Yeah. I, I need friends. And in the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find reviews of other comic book films, such as Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, The Avengers, X-Men, The Punisher, and Fantastic Four. I can't wait to show you my toys. You can also listen to our reviews of other movie series, including The Fast and the Furious, Mission Impossible, Star Trek, Terminator, Predator, and many more. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at NowPlayingPodcast.com. The world's too big, Mom. Then make it small. If you want even more Now Playing reviews, place your order now for the first Now Playing book, Underrated Movies We Recommend. Get reviews of 125 films our hosts love. Not sold anywhere commercially in the world, even Black Market. You can order the book by clicking the banner at the top of our homepage. Should we have written it down first? And then it, didn't you? Oh, yeah. Oh. I know you're trying to find out where I hang my cake. You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. You literally did the opposite of what a superhero is supposed to do. 
Support from listeners like you. Help keep now playing operating. It'd be a huge burden for anyone to bear. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. No money, no honey. You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy Now Playing t-shirts, coffee mugs, mouth pads, and much more. The link to our Cafe Press store is available on our homepage. (laughs) My suit, son. Now Playing Podcast is produced and edited by Arnie Carvalho. I feel like Superman would have done it way better. Associate produced by Jason Latham. Weapons of man draw no blood from our kind. Now playing credit narration by Brock. Wait, what? Are you making some of my big evil guy speech right now or something? You're like a mile away from me. All I see is mouth moving. Now playing is not affiliated with DC Comics or Warner Brothers Pictures. DC Comics and all that the DC Universe contains are copyright and trademark Warner Brothers Entertainment, and no infringement is intended. I've seen it, Mr. Wayne. He thinks he's above the law. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Enganza Media Incorporated. Today is a day for truth. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2020, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Can't say goodbye. You don't have to. I'm already gone. I know her from movies like Skeleton Crew and Nasty Baby, which are kind of indie and Skeleton edgy. Twins. Or, I know her from movies... Yeah, Skeleton Crew. Wow, that'd be something. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> she was in a Stephen King film? 40% of screens are open. I could have gone to St. Louis and gotten it. I can gotten COVID. COVID, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah!